Welcome back to the Blue Line Millennial Podcast. With me today, Erica Gaines of Tac Mobility. Hi, Erica. Well, hello. We've had like a 20-minute conversation, <laughs> and we're both halfway through our, uh, our our old fashions right now, so bear with us. It's going to be a fun episode. Uh, I, before I always start every episode, um, yeah, you can tell I've been drinking. Before I start each episode, <laughs> and I haven't even had that much. Erica's basically plowed through hers, <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm sitting I'm over here. I'm a little bit nervous. So I'm, like, I'm babying mine. No need to be in, be nervous. We're in a safe place. That's with all the foam padding on the wall. That'll freak out people who have never seen a picture of this room. Uh, that you have foam padding? Because if I don't say that it's like that soundproofing padding, they'll be like, the fuck does this guy have foam padding on his yeah, walls Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like you're going to like, like someone could just like thrown against the wall and like try not to or something. Yeah, no, you may notice the large crack in the corner up there. We're trying not to damage the house any further. So what'd you do? <laughs> I didn't do shit. The house settled. <laughs> so. Oh no, this is like a new house. Yeah. Yeah. The like subdivision four is years. like new. Yeah. The subdivision's fairly new. And this, uh, this particular you area. Shaft. Yeah. And everything's out of warranty. Fuckers. <gasps> yeah. And this particular era, I remember growing up and them being like, Oh yeah, this area has really terrible soil. Another sinkhole just developed. And you're like, oh shit, I should never move there. And then, you know, 25 years later, hey babe, you know where we should move? And, yep, nope, sinkhole land. Oh no. It's the land of Mormons and sinkholes. And and if you're from Arizona, you know exactly what city I'm talking about. So we're going to have a good time. I'm already enjoying this episode. <laughs> I start each episode with a nonprofit shout out. However, Erica's company, Tech Mobility, is a nonprofit. Um, so we're going to, uh, we're going to get into that, but I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. So before we talk more about TAC mobility, Erica, who is Erica and why is Erica? Who is Erica? How did you get, let me, let me start. Let me change this one up. I'm like these questions. I can get specific with me, man. My That's fair <laughs> enough. See, and I'm so used because of my job and the way that we have to ask questions is like an open-ended question. No, and so you're no. like, tell me more about that. And these people just stare at you and are like, I have ADD. about what? Yeah, you can't. You got to like hit me. Like when you texted me earlier about the questions we were going to go over, I was like, no, those are too specific. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never, I'll never pick one. Do you, do you have a handful of people in mind like for my usual question of you can drink with anybody in history living or dead who only, is it and what are you drinking well only one person popped into my mind and then i was like i don't know if i want that to be my answer and i was just like see now you got to tell us we're all curious our four listeners in russia want to know do you have four in russia three or four last i looked yeah i haven't looked at the analytics in a couple weeks that's but. funny um so immediately what popped into my mind which i didn't have any control over this was just how my brain worked it was angelina jolie and i'm like what the fuck i mean you can't be mad at angelina jolie sure like, i hey go for it but like random i don't know the last time i even thought about her uh, but i was like okay so she's done a lot with her life She's done a lot of different things i feel like she's kind of lived out like a couple of like life purposes sure and so I'm like, okay, that, that resonates. And maybe that was just like my subconscious going, yeah, that's what, that's what I want to do is to be able to accomplish many things. See, and I think life. on the surface, a lot of people would be like, Psh, she's just an actor, but you do look at like everything she's done and the lives that she's changed and impacted yeah. and like all around the world and with the kids that she's adopted and helped get, try and I've never been to Asia or Africa, but you imagine some of the lives that she's changed and what. Yeah. would have happened to these kids had they stayed in whatever communities they came from. It's not like she was going to these like 
wealthy areas in these countries and being right. like, oh, yes, I'll adopt this finely adjusted human being. Yeah. Like, no, I'm going to like basically save this child's life yeah. from a young age because God only know what's going to infant mortality rates, like youth workforce, like youth labor yeah. laws. What are those? So. Right. And on top of that, too, she's at least from, you know, from this perspective, it looks like she's also making an effort to to keep that culture, the culture that they're coming from like alive. And there's not yeah. like this appropriation that's happening where I'm like, Oh, I snatched up a brown baby from a, from a different country. I'm just going to fucking take him to the U S <laughs> like it was, you know, it looks like there's some, you know, good growth happening there. And then, you know, she was like an ambassador too. So it's going, this is more about just adopting like that became, you know, about helping countries dialogue better. Mm -hmm. That's a, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, especially imagine. now. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, let's see. Today I learned, or maybe yesterday. I think it was, I think it was yesterday. In like 2014, when, uh, to my Russian listeners, please don't, please don't hurt me. Um, I do have a mild fear of Russia only because it's like the great unknown and I'm such a nerd for the Cold War. Um, but like in 2014, Russia just went, oh, hey, Ukraine, that's our land now. And everybody was like, why would they do that? Well, yesterday they fucking did it again. So let's try and open those dialogue lines back up. And the Russian defense minister has said that any influence from the outside will destroy Ukraine. Sort of disconcerting because who knows what the fuck that means. What Right. What does that mean? Like, like you just like I watched your mouth move, but I don't know what any of that stuff. Means. I feel like what scary. he's. Yeah, I feel like what he's trying to say, but it's in the most Russian way possible is like, look, don't provide arms and ammunition to the country of Ukraine. Just like, let us do our thing. I don't think he's saying like diplomacy, fuck diplomacy. He's it's like that guy that like, just like smashes his finger against your lips. He's like, shh, you know, in mother Russia. So you saw nothing, mm -hmm. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. I always just keep coming back. Did you ever see, uh, the movie miracle about the, like the 1980 hockey team, the Olympic hockey team that like beat the Soviet union and hockey was their game. And we like totally won. Got the gold medal. Did you ever see that movie? It's a great film. It's a very motivational you know, film. I had to break this news to some of my other friends. Hockey is not something that brown people grow up going like, oh my God, <laughs> did you catch that hockey flick? No. You got to have pasty motherfuckers like me. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're I played one season of hockey and destroyed my right knee. So, yeah. I'm a fragile human being. Like I'm like, I'm like a martini glass. You knock me over, I shatter everywhere. So... It's, it's bad. Hockey was a lot of fun though. But yeah, hockey is uh, a it, martini. Glass. I can't stop thinking about that. I've never heard anyone say I that. Only, I only bring that up because it happened to me today. And I was so sad because we got this set of martini glasses for our wedding. Yeah. And it's like every few years we're like, what happened? They're like, we're down to like two glasses. We had six. Oh yeah. I keep breaking them. You keep drinking the martinis that are made of just vodka and then just well, no, see, here's how extra I am is that I know that to serve a whiskey sour, which is my other preferred cocktail right now, we're drinking old fashions, but to serve a whiskey sour, it should go into a coupe glass. I do not own a coupe glass. The martini glass is as close as I can get to it. Your eyes right now. I, I fucking wish this shape. was videoed. I'm like, I'm like a coup. Like my brain went to four different things. I'm like a coup, a chicken coop. Like, and then I was like, and I still don't know what's shape a coup a coupe glass a coupe glasses so if a you think of like glass? uh uh you ever been to those uh like i want to say it's almost like if you ever had f like a frozen margarita in one of those like bowl shaped glasses yeah a coupe is like a smaller version oh, of that oh yeah. like like the freaking not like super dainty no uh, i was thinking of um 
like flapper speakeasy, yes. like the little, and yes. it's got, oh, it always has some fucking like meringue yep. thing yep. or like some nutmeg sprinkled yeah. on it. And some weird shit okay. thrown in there that bartenders okay. put in there. Yeah. yeah. If the drink you like is in the glass, drink it. I, I don't add all that extra nonsense to it. It's just. What did you put in this? That is Maker's Mark, Angostura bitters, and um, simple syrup. Just and that's it, right? Three ingredients. So that technically you're supposed to like express an orange peel. Like I know, I, I, I don't have no any cherries oranges. in it either. And there's no cherries in it. I don't actually like cherries. I know. Even the fancy Luxardo ones. Mm -mm. No cherries. Have always, like, I think it goes back to my childhood, honestly, you, you know, like yeah. the, like the cherry cough syrup and shit like that. And I know that's not a very good like representation of, yeah. Yeah. I stick with like, I don't know. I want to say like the more acidic fruits, like oranges, pineapples, Clearly, because like you're into sours. Sours yeah. make me want to vomit. They oh, think, really? Yeah, like sour beers. Yeah, yeah no, I won't yeah. do sour beers. It's like I'm drinking like the pregame vomit. <laughs> what is that called? <laughs> or like the, you remember when like in your 20s when you were like hungover and you couldn't throw up anything else and it was yeah. just like bile. And it's just, and then. That's what sour beers taste like. And then me. you just have a scar for the rest of your oh, life God. that whenever you think about that particular thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Southern comfort. Oof. My wife has a handful of things that she can't drink. I can't do. Goldschlager. <laughs> I can't do. Um, uh, Brett, if you're listening, Brett was uh, uh, is still one of my closest friends, and, and we were very, very close growing up. And his, like, 20, fuck, was it his 20th? I was 19th. His 21st birthday party. His parents had a separate condo. God, I hope they're not listening to this. I'm sorry for what happened in that condo that night. Um and his buddy Only gaming that's really yeah we were playing say. video games and eating pretzel sticks and like cheese whiz that's all we were ever doing guys no nothing nothing crazy happened that night and uh his buddy made me a we didn't have any coca-cola so he made me a jack daniels and dr pepper and basically like spritzed dr dr pepper into a red solo cup filled to the brim with jack daniels and oh, then god it's yeah so it terrible. makes you want to vomit thinking about it and then as it's, is because Jack Daniels is so dirty. It's so gross. Yeah, I don't even I like whiskeys and I I can't drink Jack Daniels no. because of because of this event, because it's just it. Like you said, it triggers. It reminds me of terrible. And of course, he's got to like challenge my manhood, which when you're 19, like, hell no, you won't challenge my man. He's like, you don't you have five minutes to drink that. And like he was in oh, God, he was in the military. So and I was like, oh, I think maybe when I like I'm going to go to college, but I, I might want to go into the military or do some shit like that. I, I got to show this guy what I'm fucking made of. Yeah, no, I drank it. And then I distinctly remember um, Brett saying something to me on my my right and then somebody answering on my left and I turned my head and then the room moved after my head and I was like oh that's not no, good that's never worth and it and then Brett punched that dude because he was like dude he's never drank before and the guy apologized to me and he goes I'm sorry but I'm I'm sorry for what's about to happen and I don't remember shit from Brett's 21st birthday party except that I was sleeping on a roll of toilet paper so I don't have I don't have very many how old were you when that happened? 19. Okay. Maybe I do have some stories around that age, but I don't get down like that anymore, man. No. I can't fuck around. Nope. Like, and this is why women live longer than men is because- A lot of reasons. Like, if a girl were to be like, you won't, like, that's something that, like, my boyfriend and his bros, like, if you say you won't, whatever follows that sentence, that statement has to be done. Yep. 100%. Doesn't matter what it is. 
you're walking through Walmart. You won't push me into the thing. You won't push me into this clothes rack. It has to be done. I don't operate that way. If you tell me that like I won't, I'm like, well, okay. Yeah, you're right. I won't. I probably won't. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but those do provide, there's like a, these Australian dudes who are like, Hey, I bet you won't jump into that lake right there. And it'll be like at this fancy, <laughs> like fancy restaurant. Yeah, and they just I like, like strip down, hold my phone, jump in like perfect. That has been, <laughs> I have gotten into so many like shenanigan bullshit stories with police officers after training conferences when like the playing has ensued. We're the fucking worst. You're the worst. And I think it's because we the worst. We just we have to party so hard. Like I party Ugh. harder now. And there's people listening to this too that are like, no, he doesn't. But I will I will allow myself to drink more now and do more stupid shit now than I ever did when it was probably age appropriate to do so. Yeah. I that has been my experience with a lot of you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, you shit know what? I can't kick it with you. Yeah. Like my done button is around eleven PM. Most cops done buttons are like, I can go to one or two or three there. What is there to do at one or two or three <laughs> having? So my dad, no. my dad used to tell me when I was growing up that nothing good happens after midnight and having worked graveyards on patrol for a year and a half. Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. The beat that I worked uh, in the Western precinct of, of the city that I work for, uh, I had a major, like the, like the biggest bar in the area. And I basically was in, like straddling. What was it? A bar. Uh, without giving too much away about where I work, it rhymes with with sandbar. Oh, okay. I actually wondered in my head. I was like, I wonder if that was that one iguanas, right? Because that was wasn't it next to that? No, no. The only thing next to this one. Oh, is that the was freeway. off of the ten in red. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Again, you're not giving away too much, <laughs> okay, right? Because you can right. yeah, yeah. you can go one direction. Anymore, right? and, Oh God, I hope it's not there anymore. I don't think it's there anymore. That you would be so nice. I there went was, there one time. And that's all you need. And I I can picture that right now. I will say they the, had sand there. This yes. The staff was um the 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 security guys were usually pretty pretty helpful. Many, many a fights at that bar. Yeah. Um because again, alcohol and decision making, sure. right? This is not, not things that are known to go well together. Weird. Yeah, weird. Um, it does not go like peas and carrots, as Forrest Gump would say. Uh, but the cook staff was always awesome because if I wasn't taking someone to jail once the whole parking lot cleared out, yeah. they would like roll a grill out onto their little oh, beach. Their fucking carne asada. And, and make good. fucking tacos and burritos oh, for dude, us. Dude, I'm telling you. I'd be like, I'd be looking at my patrol team, like, where the fuck were you guys? Like, That's I the- were like 94 people trying to kill me, and you assholes were like, oh, burrito time. Like, come on, man. Well, you know, crime can wait. It's going to be there. Yeah, it's going to be there. Isn't that the fucking truth? But, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was an interesting time. Um, now, I remember the last. Like we have a union conference every year uh, and we go usually go up north for it to get out of the heat of the of the valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of you not from Arizona or at all familiar with it, the Phoenix metro area in like September even will sit at right around like 105, <laughs> 110 degrees Fahrenheit. But the, but also make sure to notate that our humidity is also our humidity at, is basically at that point. Yeah very high it's at it, yeah because of monsoon season it's fucking miserable it's like the fucking south but with the heat of the west yes it's terrible yeah it's miserable so we uh our union was awesome enough to get us up north into northern arizona where it That's cools great. off at night it's you know low low 60s at night and it's just great um 
but I can remember uh, one of my supervisors, we were all going out for drinks afterwards and she was like, nope, I'm going to bed. I'm like, it's like 930. Why are you going to bed? And she goes, because my husband's not here. My kids aren't here. So I'm going to bed. I'm like, hmm, okay. Um, and I now have a newfound respect for that. Uh, but I would ideally, like some people were able to bring their spouses up with them. Like yeah. I would want my wife to be like, here, grandparents, have our child. Enjoy. Yeah. I will be in Northern Arizona right. for the weekend with my husband. That would be, and my my done button would be right around that time. And even now, like when I was trying to set this up with Erica, <laughs> I, I tried to time it for basically like I put my kid to bed at eight and he's usually good about going down. The past couple nights been a little rough for a little guy, but uh, put him to bed at eight. And Erica was like, yeah, you got like an hour and a half. I'm like, uh, I can make that work like nine 30. And then I can be in bed by 10. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like I want to wake up early. I want to smash the day. I want to like fuck shit up. Like I want to crush. What is early? All of my day. Um, I mean this morning it was about six fifty. Okay. So like somewhere around the six o'clock hour, somewhere in there. So now that do I can... you, do you wake up and eat breakfast? Do you wake up and go work out? Do you like make a cup of coffee and check the emails? Like what's, so when I wake up, I just kind of check in to see like where, how I'm feeling for the day. Okay. And that kind of determines what happens next. So like, um, example yesterday, I woke up feeling like the world was literally crashing in on me and just the weight of what I'm doing and the things that I'm getting involved in and just becoming a boss and all of that, just the, the weight of all of it. I woke up with it just like, you know, and so I, I did some meditating and I did some, um, positive, like self-talk stuff. You know, I was just telling myself, I'm like, I'm thriving. Like I am thriving. And I said it, I don't even know how many times. So, um, yeah, it's just the power kinda, of word, right? Well, yes. And, and it's like vibrational kind of stuff, which is like a really weird concept, especially to your community, because it's typically used in like this very like woo woo hippy dippy weird <laughs> type of stuff. I have, I have officers in mind who, who uh, <laughs> I think would respond like that. Love you guys equally though. There's always a few and they make my heart so happy because it's like, like they, just, they, you know, it kind of looks like that fish out of water kind of thing. Um, but words, you know, when they're broken down, like your vocal cords are, their vibration and, you know, vibration has been studied under microscopes to determine what different, um, frequencies do to the body or to atoms, like how they reorganize things. So speaking positively over a really hard situation is scientifically impactful. Um, and the same can be said about walking around complaining about bullshit all day. Like it all kind of, it's, it's all powerful. It just sure. depends on what you want to use it for. So I just kind of wake up and like check and see like where I'm at. And then, um, like this morning I made coffee and then I had a dance party in my, in my bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> what did you dance to? What was your jam? Um, I was listening to, um, it's kind of like this like French sexy sounding song. So I did okay. some kind of like just positive, like I'm fucking hot. Like I'm just all the things kind of like hype myself up. And then, um, and then I listened to chance the rapper cause I fucking love him. There you go. Yep. And, um, and then I, my, uh, 
chief operations officer came over and we just fucking crushed all the things and made breakfast and yeah. But what I was like, for breakfast? That's a loaded question because I mean, for breakfast, tomorrow's right around the corner. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty consistent with breakfast. I, okay. I wish that I changed it up a little bit more, but I'm pretty um, straightforward. So like half an avocado, okay. two over medium eggs, okay. two to four pieces of bacon. Um, Maybe I do toast. Maybe I do like with tortilla. Maybe I do a fucking bagel. I don't know. Maybe some fruit in there, but yeah. I fucking love eggs and bacon. <sighs> you can't beat it. I'm pretty like, you I'm can't. fairly consistent. I would eat breakfast three meals a day if I could. I fucking love breakfast. <sighs> but my breakfast is usually like two to three eggs and I make little bagel sandwiches. I have like little miniature bagels. Oh, yeah. You like let the yolk like pop and like just pour all over yeah. the, oh. And then just scarf that down. Mm. I get my protein, I get my carbs and I usually, I'm curious to your thoughts as to how much coffee is too much coffee and is there too much coffee? I mean, I have a problem with coffee. I, I had three cups today. That's adorable. Oh, is that not a lot? <laughs> that feels like a lot. So I had two this morning. Okay, so I'm pretty consistent with two cups in the morning. Okay. And then- I do um, the same, like right before I even step out the door for work, two cups of coffee. Oh, oh yeah. God. I wake no. up at 5.50. Okay. Um, and I- now that it's warming, I have zero motivation to go out running when it's cold outside. I can't do it. I fucking hate cold weather. Same as these. I, I, I like visiting cold weather. Right. Um, where we're at now with this like 86 in the afternoon, primo. I'm good with that. Um, but yeah, now that it's warming up, I'll probably start waking up a little bit earlier. I get that sunshine a little bit earlier in the morning and okay. I will probably start my day with a run. At least I'm going to tell myself that. And if I tell myself that, hopefully I'll manifest it into reality, okay. right? Because I hibernate for the winter and I turn into a little chunky polar bear. So <laughs> <laughs> I like to sit there with my warm food. You got to get that hot girl yeah. summer or I what do they call it? Hot girl, hot girl body, hot girl summer, right? Right around the corner. I can't. I'm doing hot girl shit. Hot girl shit. Yeah. But I like what's uh, one, of, one of my buddies, his wife also works for us. And she posted that <laughs> meme of like, I want to do hot girl shit, but I'm too busy eating fat girl shit. Right. I'm like, man, same. Like yeah, the holidays short. are rough. They're not rough. Like well, I, they can be, we, but they're, we came off of COVID and true. that impacts so much. Like your stress hormones impact, how impact, how your body, um, stores things and all that stuff plays a huge part I well, mean, chemical production and how your body operates the type of energy levels that you have. All that stuff is impacted. So, well, so let's, let's go down memory lane to 2020 for a little bit, because I will say that working, <laughs> working patrol during 2020 was, exceptionally stressful. Um, and I, like, I kind of, it's not even downplaying. Like I got called out once. I think they were supposed to call me out a second day, but one other guy on my team and I just plum didn't get a text message or a phone call about it. Um, and so we only ended up, I think we worked like five or six days straight, which was out of the ordinary for us, but we had guys working. I say guys, we had officers working like 14, like 14 yeah. days straight. Um, and then they went and bought a new car after Are that. Are you can't talking be a, in a reference to like, but what? I said they went and bought a new car after that. There can't be a correlation between the overtime. And the right. But, but I mean, my motivation because of the stress and quite frankly, the frustration that we were feeling there, yeah. we were always in the, we have gyms at all of our stations, which if you're in any sort of admin position for a police department and you don't provide workout equipment for your agency, fix that. Um, but we would like, my shift started at two 30. 
Like I could wake up at 11 a.m. and basically roll out of bed and in my own time and get to work, get to work at like one. And we would work out for an hour before a shift. Yeah. And then you're walking around with all that shit on all day long. And now I am every meme about detectives ever. Like there's a meme of a beluga whale being <laughs> craned, being craned into a, like a protective environment. And it says like something like detectives when they're told to go back to patrol. And I, I feel that whale. We're on the same we're on the same wavelength that that animal and I. That's funny. So, because I just I wake up early and I've never been an early riser. Yeah. Never. I can't. I just like I I fucking hate getting up early. Um, uh, I do find just now, right? It's just it's part of like my daily routine. Um, but we are going to circle back around to what we were talking about, which was coffee. But um, my plan is to start waking up at about five thirty and take oh that twenty God. minutes, just step into some running shoes and get out the door and just go run. Because do you like running? So I, I ran a lot, um, around that same time of the Jack Daniels nastiness story. Mm. Um, that friend of mine, Brett, we would do two days, six days a week. Um, cause we were, he was in the army and then he and I had actually thought about doing like, uh, uh, like, like doing some sort of like rescue swimmer program. And so we were taking the the standards from the coast guard rescue swimmer program and testing ourselves to those standards. Um, the fuck is wrong with you? It seemed like a great idea My at the time. God. <laughs> but, but I mean, we were, we would, you know, basically meet up and, and work out, uh, for in the first half of the day. And then at night we'd either go rock climbing, running or swimming. Um, and we would put, you know, four five, six miles in, uh, rock climbing was all indoors. We, we didn't like at night try and go and climb a fucking mountain. Like we're not suicidal most days. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, swimming we do, you know, a thousand fifteen hundred meters in the lap pool. If I could get back to that, I love swimming the most because it's super low impact. I me fucking up my knee during hockey. Yeah. It, I can remember the exact moment that I smashed my right knee into like the the side of the rink over by where we all sat. How old were you? I was fourteen. Dude, that's so much trauma. Well, and it, it that you've been carrying around in your like, knee. Worked through it. Worked through it. Worked through it. And then. In like PE, my eighth grade, I think, in P eighth grade PE, I turned wrong, which sounds like something that I would do now in my 30s, right? You turn wrong and your whole day is fucked. Like, but I turned wrong and I ended up basically my, uh, uh, I'm not an, an anatomy expert, um, but my cartilage was basically sheared in half within my knee. I tore my meniscus in my right knee. So I had knee surgery at the ripe old age of 14. Um, but I still like my, like my running really traumatic dude. Well, but I was, I think I was young enough to like come through it. And I actually had a lot um, of what's the trauma that happened to your brain that you're how old are you right now? 30. You're th oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> fucking new. And I'm like this millennial bullshit. I was like, he's gonna I wouldn't have called it blue old. line millennial if I was 40. <laughs> I would have called it blue line <laughs> Gen X. -er. Well, like, okay. So think about it for 16 years, it's been something that's like on your mind, right? Oh, like yeah. it's still affecting you 16 years later. So it completely changed like your brain patterns. Like it changed how you think about your body and how you interact with the world. Like yeah. that's a traumatic experience well, I got, to I, not let go of it. I went to one football tryout for the JV team in high school and I got my ass handed to me and I was like, no, I'm not going through a fucking another knee surgery. Like I'm done. So many, uh, so it's really hard to kind of put it into words in a way that makes sense, but I get a lot of folks that are, you know, Hey, I've got this injury and what should I do? And what's the first thing? And I'm like, man, it's really hard to explain, but 
a large part of your recovery has to do with your ability to control your own fear. Like when an accident happens, when an injury happens, when a traumatic event happens, your brain creates like this, like if then program into your brain. And so it's like, if you do this, then this will happen. So then, Mm -hmm. you know, think about if you have chronic pain, chronic back pain, every day you wake up, and your brain immediately goes to wherever that chronic pain is. Your brain looks for it because that's been its experience the day before. So you get out of bed and you are looking for that stuff, right? So think about it. You hurt your knee and you forever are thinking that this knee is no longer as strong and capable of being as strong as your other one. So then everything that you do is babying this knee and putting stress on your other one. So you're you're creating scar tissue because you're not adding movement and mobility to it because you're afraid of it. You're not building that strength that you need to. You don't develop that mind body awareness that tells you like how to rehabilitate and move through an injury. So it's kind of like your fear of what might happen and what you think is going to happen gets in the way of your ability to forget that that's a thing. So like my brain is just like exploding right now. Cause I, <laughs> because you're right. Like I, and it's at the point now, again, 16 years later where like my dad and I'll be moving something into their house. My mom will look at well, both of us because we both had knee surgery, but she'll look, she'll be like, careful, careful about your knee. 16 years later. So you're, so that's also information that you learn. Your body learns that, right? If, if we're just organisms and we're animals, you're looking at your mother who has had the same deficit for however long. So you grew up thinking that that's normal. So your brain already has the capacity and room for that injury. You know how to adjust life around an injury. So then something happens and you continually look for it to be a problem. So you never get past that. Like, Oh, like I can fuck it. My knee can totally handle this rehabilitation or like this. I can totally handle weight right here. If I just put weight where it should be, or I can do this rehabilitative move with a rubber band or something like that. We just don't think that way. So, you know, your mind and how traumatic an experience is really, it sticks with you. Like, and you don't, you just don't think about it. Yeah. I think I've become more aware of it with traumatic experiences in the forms of like calls for service that patrol, Mm -hmm. like you see on patrol or, you know, the investigations that I have now as a sex crimes detective, right? Like some of that shit is like, Ooh, like that's going to stick with me. Like I, my, I always had a joke, uh, uh, my buddy Brent. I, uh, weird, yeah. weird. Cops joking cops, about cops really traumatic about events really traumatic that are and like dark so things. Up. But uh, but Brent and I would be like Brent's famous line would be like, "Well, that's why I scream at night." And he was also an infantryman <laughs> in the army and served in Afghanistan. That's why I have to wear a diaper. That's, to bed. Yeah, that's where I have to wear a diaper to bed and listen to listen to Enya. And, <laughs> I was thinking Enya. That's so funny. I thought Enya. And, and uh, we sit there and we make our dark jokes about things like, oh, I'm going to see that shit later in my sleep. But you fucking do. So I was. I, OK, so my boyfriend and I were laying in bed one day and um, this isn't that kind of a podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Continue. <laughs> and we're like scrolling through <laughs> pictures on his phone and he's like going through like a vacation. He's like showing me pictures and I'm like, oh, is that cool? And then he like he goes Oop, and he just like scrolls past something. And I'm like, what was that? And he's like, oh, I'm um, just someone committing suicide 
Like what? Excuse me? <laughs> you know, just you know, just waltz right past that. That's not like a casual like mm, move on. What? It was like his body cam of like this guy that jumped out into traffic because they had tried pulling him over on the freeway and he's just like, not today. Yeah. And he just fucking like jumped right in front of a truck. Goodbye. Yeah. And I'm like, that's on you you saved on your phone. That's on your phone? Oh no. What are you, what, what is, that's not good. Yeah, delete that shit right now. That's not good to watch. That's IA definitely going to stick to you. Right, and it's like, that's definitely going to stick with you. That I can remember an accident that I witnessed when I was, I don't even know how young I was, but I remember watching this car come like barreling down the road, it hit another car and like flipped over. That shit just sticks with you because your brain, um, I try and like normalize how this shit kind of pops up. I like to think about it as like when you're not able to like apprehend what's happening or, or you can think about it as like your level of surprise. That's the stuff that no matter what you do, that's just going to come up. You just can't get away from it. Cause right. like your brain is like, what the fuck was that? I've never seen that before. Right. Because that's not, you know, you that's think of like your, your normal day to day, right? If you, if you weren't a cop or a firefighter or a nurse or even a dispatcher, like if you weren't, you know, a, a, an ER doctor, if you, if you not to minimize people who work for insurance companies, because we hate that we need you. But, uh, if your morning routine is to, you wake up, you make your breakfast, you feed your dogs, you put your coffee in your thermos, you get into your Honda Civic and you drive to your insurance company and then you drive home, wash, rinse, repeat. And then that's normal, normal, normal. And then one day you're driving down the 51 freeway and a fucking car flips over and you see blood everywhere as yeah. the traffic comes to a complete standstill. Like that's probably going to, you're going to talk about that yeah. event, right? For the next month, any yeah. dinner party you go to, you're going to be like, holy shit, let me tell you. No, we'll talk about the TPS reports later. Let me tell you what I fucking saw on my way well, to work. And that's like your brain's way of trying to like continually make sense. So it's interesting that, so that's just like a normal part of like how our brain works. Like it wants to like deal with and try and figure things out. So with officers where a lot of you guys don't have that kind of um, like open culture to verbalize tough experiences, then the body never gets to go through this very like natural part of trying to integrate something that's so fucked up mm -hmm. into your brain. Like you just, you, if you don't have the ability to process through what happened, then you just kind of never really get to. And well, it keeps coming up. I think we rely heavily on, on like our, our teammates, right? Who are, you know, you look at like, I can't speak for like county sheriff's deputies who are like, this is my jar of dirt. That's my backup officer. Like, oh yes, I have a patrol team, but they're 47 miles away. I, like, I know that's wild. Yeah, I don't process that shit. That's just weird to me. But like I had a patrol yeah. team of between six and eight other officers. So we would talk about a critical incident, except four of them were on the fucking critical incident with okay. me. And are you really like healing as it were? Are you really working through or processing what you've seen by going over it with a whole bunch of other people who also have to go through their own Try, try as you might to be tough and be like, hey, you know, like water off a duck's back, like that shit doesn't bother me. It may not right then and there, right? Because you're in the moment, you're working through a problem, you're you're doing your job, but then you get home at night and you're staring at the ceiling like, well, that was kind of goofy. Like, but then the, the other half of our- You don't even have the language. Yeah, we don't have the language. Like well, That's that, not like, fucking goofy. My th like my whole thing, I've always like, oh, well, that was weird. But like, that's not- 
Like, no, weird. Different weird is the guy riding a BMX bike down the street in a clown costume. That's fucking weird. Like, weird yeah. is not you know watching a medical examiner pull eyeglasses eyeglasses off of a decaying corpse and seeing the eyelids go with it. Like, that's yeah. You're that welcome for that one. That like, happened, and that my brain can't even come up <laughs> and, with that. And welcome to Kevin's brain. I feel like it should be its own TLC documentary. And I've been a cop for four years. Like you look at the guys who've been doing this like 34 years. Right. And and you're like, what? Like Jesus, like what have you possibly seen? Have you forgotten things? And the answer is no, what? because they constantly bring up things from 1989. They're like, oh yeah, I remember my first call for service. And then that dude got, you know, shotgun to the face. And you're like, what, what, what? Like, And these are also the same folks that are like, PTSD is bullshit. Yeah, You're just absolutely. in your fucking millennial feelings. And it's like, Tell me how that's going for yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's funny listening to some of them now who have understood like we're like oh shit I probably should have talked to somebody uh, because they they are not afraid to impart that wisdom. Yeah. Right. We and I think we hesitate to talk to people because like no like we at my agency and a lot of other agencies isn't anything that we developed. We have a critical incident stress management team, a SISM team. SISM, yeah. And for the longest time, we looked at SISM as just like oh you got into a shooting, find a SISM officer that you want to talk to like and talk to them um it wasn't until recently like probably within the last three-ish years where they've started to look at a SISM team as like hey you need to like like somebody's just gonna have like a bad day because they're gonna see something that you know they're gonna see a car crash that reminded them of a fucking IED that went off in Iraq or they're gonna see a little kid that gets beaten and that's not you know, this person's the toughest person on the face of the earth. And they see this little kid come in with all these broken bones and it fucks him up from six ways from Sunday. But we sit there and it's like, no, if we talk about this, they're going to take my fucking gun. They're going to put me on admin leave and I'm going to be ostracized. I mean, black sheep, right? I'm going to be looked at yeah. as like, okay, maybe that dude's not stable. Like, okay, Kevin's saying that he feels this way. Okay. You need to like, when he takes his gun belt off after the end of the day, like we're going to go into his locker, we're going to take his gun and we don't want him anywhere near that shit. And then we're just going to bring is him into like an office. Is this like real stuff? Probably not, but this is what goes through our heads, right? And maybe it is. Seriously? It, yeah, absolutely. That's so, okay. So you know what? You maybe, I don't know how you feel about data. Do you like data? I do like data because data has the answers of for all things. While, while Erica's looking at her phone for data, um, to my, even my patrol officers out there, it's not something that you can just send off to a detective to do if you can find data for your area you will have all the keys that you need because you'll be able to see what's going wrong find out where the vehicle burglaries are taking place when they're taking place and then use that information don't just look at it and be like oh okay flip the page use that information to become more proactive there's my little spiel sorry you have data yeah so we um so so talk mobility we kind of talked about a little bit non-profit we are getting to it, I promise. <laughs> well, so we, we're doing the world's largest ongoing survey of law enforcement and cumulative stress. Really, really proud of it. We're almost at 900 um, responses like nationwide, which is really, really cool. Our goal is going to be 5,000. So like my original goal was like 1,000. I was like, yes. And then now that we're looking at it like by state, we're like, oh, fuck. A thousand is nothing. Yeah, There's you have some agencies that have dude, three thousand officers, right. right? So I'm like, man, we have a long way to go. So we're at 900, and based off of those answers um, today, we pulled some cool statistics. This one is 91 percent of officers stress over the legal risk of doing their job. Yep, been there. Um, 
90% of officers experience increased stress from working late hours and overtime. Yep, been there. 90% of officers experience stress due to department policies. Yep, been there. <laughs> hey, why didn't you pursue that car? Um, because we're always told we're not allowed to get into pursuits. Right. Well, that time, I guess you could have gotten it. But like, what? The, I, like, okay, I, right. I did something wrong when all the other times I've tried to pursue vehicles for what I thought were good, like violent felonies, right? Those are like, it is a violent crime occurred, but like, a, like, you punching me in the face is a misdemeanor in the state of Arizona. You stabbing me in the neck, right? Deadly weapon for and dangerous instrument felony. So you stab somebody in the neck and then try and run from the police pursuits on. But so many times we get told like, well, no, you're going to stop pursuing. And then it's one time like, Hey, why didn't you pursue that car? Well, fuck. I, cause I'm always told no. Right. And now here I am being spoken to about, now I wouldn't even use the word discipline, but like here, here we are being spoken to like, Hey, why didn't you do this? Well, because we're, we're used to being told no. Right. So yeah, no, anyways. So yeah. you want me to, you want my compliance, but now you want my autonomy, which do you want? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Makes yeah. no sense. 87% of officers stress about negative public perception. Oh yeah. Yeah. For 80, that's it. 87. Well, I were mean, they working you last have to year? keep in mind. <laughs> so some of these, some of this information is skewed. There's still some things that have a little bit of stigma. So like, I think it's only, 9% of officers report excessive alcohol use. Um, <clears throat> shit. Yeah. Um, what? So there's still some things where it's like, okay, you know, maybe you're not. I was, I honest. was towards the end of last year, I would say from like November until mid January, I was ending every shift at one o'clock in the morning with a glass of whiskey. Right. And, uh, and that's except that may not be excessive for some people. Some people may look at that and be like, Oh, whatever. It's a nightly glass of whiskey, but you, ha you have to really, and it, and I struggled with it, but you have to be honest as to the reason that you're drinking that glass of whiskey or, or drinking that beer. You're having your nightly cigarette. Like, are you trying to de-stress? Maybe you should find something a little healthier than. Well, so here's, I have, I don't know. I kind of have like an unpopular opinion about alcohol. Um, I am really thankful for it in the sense that a lot of people haven't committed suicide because of it. I don't think that it's a, I don't think that it's a productive or necessarily a safe coping mechanism, but it has kept a lot of folks alive because you guys see a lot of fuck shit. You can see a lot of things that you'd want to unsee that you can't unsee. So a little bit of that numbing has to take place in order for your brain to be able to feel okay a little bit. So mm -hmm. I think the alcohol makes sense knowing that um, it's effective, but also, you know, you can't, it's, it's not acceptable to use medications that will increase your serotonin production sure. because those are looked at as fucking crazy. Like, Oh my God, you're a liability if you're getting more serotonin, but if you're a functioning alcoholic, that's fine. You know, oh, so it's normal, right? I mean, that's normal. So I think that, you know, good old boys club. Yeah. So I, I think that alcohol is one of those. Actually, I, I listened to a podcast where they quantified alcohol for as she was an Olympic runner mm -hmm. and she was training and she's like, you know, I believe in balance and I think it's important to, you know, at the time when I was training, I thought it was really important to like live out my life and party and whatever. And her coach said to her, um, a night of just partying will you can equate that to losing two weeks of training. Damn. Well, 
And so like once I heard that, I started thinking about my relationship with alcohol differently in terms of like there's so much shit that I want to do and deserve to accomplish. Like there's like I've I have a lot of dreams and I want to see a lot of that stuff out. So me having drinks throughout the week, that's not supporting my future self and what I envision me to accomplish. I I want to because it's very easy for me to go to sleep sure. <laughs> or to just kind of like, you know, when I'm I'm operating, you know, high producer all day long or being mom or traveling or whatever. Like I want to just like nightcap it and like bye. But it's just it doesn't set me up to win the next day. So I think when a lot of folks or I think if folks start to just learn more coping mechanisms, because. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with like a, so, a social lubricant, right? Like I show up here, I haven't been drinking all week long. This is the first drink I've had since Sunday. Yeah. Right. This is the first drink I've had since yesterday. I'm, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling nervous. I've never met you before. I know that if I drink this glass of whiskey, I'm going to feel a lot more relaxed. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But like you said, motivation. Am I just going like, man, I just need to shut out these fucking thoughts at once. Well, and for me, it was, so tying this back into, I will drink somewhere between five and seven cups of coffee a day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's better than it used what? to be. Yeah. And then I will end my night. Well, not anymore, but I was now that I'm on a regular schedule, right? Bank hours, detective hours, kind of nice, right? My shift, like I start work at 8 a.m. or 8, yeah, 8 a.m. And I leave at 6 p.m. And like, I have a normal night. I put my kid to bed. I do all the things like normal dads do type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but working from 2.30 to 12.30, 2.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m., uh, yeah, I would need a whole shitload of coffee to get going. Uh, energy drinks too. Like I'd have three cups of coffee before I'd hit, like before I'd get in my truck to go to work and then I'd get through, hit, do my workout, right? Hashtag health. Um, go through briefing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a quick trip in my beat. Um, I would hit quick trip. I would get an energy drink. Um, and then I would carry on throughout my day. So two cups of coffee and an energy drink. And then now as the detective, with again, me not being really a morning person, it's two cups of coffee before I get out the door. And then I'll have, I've started to become more aware of it, but I'll do two cups of coffee while I'm sitting at my desk, probably before 1 p.m. So between 8 a.m. and 1 How much water are you having? In- no, not nearly enough. I, I take a now, like a 36 ounce Nalgene to work and I will get through a that. thirty A Nalgene bottle, one of the plastic, like. What word are you saying? Nalgene. Nalgene? What yeah. kind of millennial shit is that? <laughs> no, it's it's like big. Nalgene? It's like big in the outdoors community. I'll pull it up on the phone here so that you can see. Nalgene. It's, it's this like is the first time name. I'm hearing this. Nalgene, like a trade like name. Algae. Like I'm thinking of some. When I show you, you'll be like, oh, bottle. that fucking thing. Like I know what that is. A compostable water bottle is all I'm picturing. No, it's like BPA free, so you can leave it in the hot sun and not get cancer from it. You know. Is like, that how BPA poison works? Oh. Like you've seen no one before. fucking calls it that. <laughs> Stop it. I want you to post this to your social media after this gonna, episode. Airs. I will post a poll. How's that sound? No one said. Stop it. You I know what? Actually, another example of that today, I found out what BDUs stands for. Oh, battle dress uniform. You, don't fucking say that. <laughs> don't walk around nonchalantly saying those three words. We're, <laughs> we're cops. We love our acronyms and our, and our names for shit, right? Battle. Dress uniform. We didn't like. We didn't invent it. Right? I don't give like, a fuck. But you haven't changed the name, so you're just walking around talking. Hair. I like your battle dress uniforms. Excuse me. 
Again, I call you guys I call five eleven. So like the five eleven pants that all cops wear, I call yeah. them shoot me first pants because if you're if you're a cop, I'm gonna tell you this right now. I'm gonna speak to all my new cops out there because most of the cops that have been doing this for more than sixteen hours have figured out not to do this shit. But if uh, if when you're off duty, you're wearing your five elevens and like <laughs> some sort of t shirt that says like I hunt the evil you pretend don't exist, you're getting sheepdog. shot first, right? Yeah. yeah. Hashtag sheepdog. Like like I'm all for absorbing and internalizing like what like the the meaning of the sheepdog is that your job is to protect a flock don't start putting it on hats and stickers and don't put it on your fucking arm and a tattoo like chill the fuck out dress like a normal human being this coming from a guy who's wearing one of the zero foxtrot ghost rider t-shirts with a very colorful uh it's very bright like the top gun airplane the f-14 yeah 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 it's very 80s you are brighter than me and that's a new thing for me i'm ordinarily like very much into my grays i'm like lego batman like i only work in black and sometimes very very are dark you gray Enne- are you an enneagram one i have no idea what the hell that means are you a perfectionist no not really look at the closet behind you <laughs> are you so they have there's like a nickname like the reformer no are you the i feel like i've taken one of these tests the, before but it's been a while are you the observer I will observe things. Yeah. Are you like an internal processor? Like you like love information? Yes. Are you like, do you not appreciate like high emotions? Uh, That's something that my wife would tell you that she's been working on for nearly a decade now. Do you hate being controlled? Uh, you know, it's, well, yeah, I don't like, so I hate ultimatums. I do not like people giving me ultimatums. Okay. So you might be a five. You might be a five. I had an ex-girlfriend figure out the hard way that I don't like ultimatums because it was one of those like, you can go into Air Force ROTC or you can keep dating me. And I was like, fucking show you. And then, you know, the sequester happened during Air Force ROTC and it was my first year. And they were like, yeah, so ROTC is done for a little while because the government has no money. And I was like, well, damn. Damn. (laughs) But by then I was, I'd already started dating the woman I married. So I was good to go. I was like, ah, whatever. Are you petty? Do you, I, get, no. do you get petty? Like if someone like if someone is controlling of you and you have to comply, are you petty? Like you do like the minimum? No. Okay. No, I might complain the entire time. Hmm. I don't know. Are you sensitive to words? Like, do you appreciate like words of affirmation? I do appreciate words of affirmation. And, and though I'd like to say that I'm not sensitive to words, I will read shit that makes me angry. Right. Like if I wasn't sensitive to words, then I wouldn't. But like, you know, being on the road, being a patrol officer, I have people call me, you know, fucking like people that you love. So like if your wife were to like, like say something mean to you. Oh yeah. That would have a very large effect on me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Erica's got me all figured out. I'm I'm working. (laughs) I am just trying to figure out. She's already got me a profile. Okay. So if you are a five, so, so I use this personality typing test, um, a lot, uh, when I'm dealing with officers because it just kind of helps me cut through a lot of bullshit fair enough so like if i can determine what your typing is i can just avoid certain things that makes sense type five is the observer um it's like adult learning right like that's how you learn how to like what's adult learning well like taking one of these tests so that way you understand okay for these people over here the best way for me to teach them is to do this method versus this Mm. method it's very similar to that except the focus is on your childhood wounding. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, so it's going, you behave the way that you do when you are in stress or when you're in flow based off of something that happened, happened in your childhood. So like 
type fives don't like to be controlled because they felt very controlled in childhood settings by either their parent or caretaker or um, they had a parent that was like just not in control of their emotions or a caretaker that was just like all over the place. So like inconsistent with emotions. So then a type five, as they grow older, they are sort of like they can be extroverted people, but tend to be more internal processors, overthinkers, analyzers, and they just gather energy and information and um prefer to have space and do not like to be controlled. People are very like, they're the kind of people that um, understand logic, but also feelings. So that's where like sensitivity okay. and words kind of comes into play. So when I'm working with the type five, I'm just very uh, mindful of the types of words that I use when I'm labeling behaviors or things like that. And, well, and it's funny you bring up like, like, type fives i'm curious now to, i will have to you'll have to send me this personality test and okay. i will i will send you my results okay um but the whole like you prefer open spaces so like when my wife and i are trying to figure out where we're going to go on vacation uh -huh. we'll usually flip a coin we'll we'll narrow down to two spots and we'll flip a coin heads or tails and it always ends up being like lately it's been okay we're going to go to colorado or we're going to go to Wyoming or we're going to go to Montana and yeah. then then those will be like my choices and then my wife will be like well I want to go back up COVID notwithstanding I want to go back to New York her family's all from New York City so I want to go back to New York City I want to go to this city 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 she really likes the hustle and bustle of the cities mm -hmm. whereas I'm more like meh like city, right. cities are interesting like there's a lot of cool shit like if you really like you think about what a city is you're like oh that's kind of and again there I go analyzing shit right and you're like yeah, that's cool. But I'd really rather just like mountains, streams, creeks, fields, snow, like trees, things like that. Well, energy con conservation, right? So like a big city is fun, but it also equates to like energy draining. Like you're going to have to enlist a lot of energy to go do something like that versus like, you know, feeling whole and you know feeling refreshed and energized by like openness and whatever sure like you walk through you walk through manhattan you walk through london you're like fuck i need to avoid like here's these forty thousand people all using the same 100 foot stretch of sidewalk <laughs> and then i need to get this taxi to this underground or this subway but no hang on is it that subway or is it this subway do you like to mosey do you not do you like to be are you how do you feel about being rushed um I honestly feel if you were to ask my wife, I kind of want to add like she's a, I would say that um, I don't like to be rushed. Like, again, just trying to be honest with it. Yeah. But I will like today, you know, I I I had posted it on Instagram with this um, like hutch thing that I'm re staining and repainting and whatnot. Um, I will focus in on that. And then I find it inconvenient for somebody to be like, hey, we need to go do this. Like, no, oh I my am, God, you're a five. I'm a five. Okay. Like, so if I'm, if I ask my boyfriend to like Google something or if he just somehow gets sucked into trying to understand something, the entire world disappears. Yeah. Like, like he needs to like singular focus on this thing. And like, I, I, it, and it's, that's, you know, that was one thing that I had to learn in our relationship is like, he's not ignoring me or excluding me or trying to do any of that stuff. Like his brain is very singular focused and he needs that space. Again, here's the space. He needs the space to like understand what he's, what's in front of him. I don't know how to work this thing. This That's okay. Thing. You do with the microphone, what you need to do. Okay. Make the microphone work for you. 
So people will get over it or they'll send me messages. But so far, nobody's messaged me about it. I think That's I've had one fancy. person message me about audio quality, but we fixed that. So you have great quality. This it, was on a, it was on a much older, I say much older. It was on, the system I started with was not this handy dandy uh, Rode Procaster Pro. Shout out to Rode. Um, but no, it was on like a, a much more challenging piece of equipment to use that has now been relegated to a drawer. This is super cool. So it's very colorful. I like it. It's it like makes me happy with all the colors. On well, it. <laughs> so it makes me think of like, you know, like those DJ things. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Is I work for a does? DJ. No, uh, I'm sure you could, but I don't because you like can all those buttons. I want you to push them. So well, here. So we'll treat the audience to uh, what are some of these? So they've got what is. Yeah. So oh, got, look at that. They've got like preloaded sound and you can change. So like this red one up here is my intro outro music and you can you can. Oh. You can slay like like link these um, to a certain sound. There's your laugh track, right? Like soup. In case I'm not funny enough, um, and that thing's like 15 seconds long. What the hell? So there's very oh, magical that's how, sounds. So that's how my brain works. Okay. Like that. that if sound? that could be my yes. So I started doing this thing where I like started imagining glitter above my head when I. That's. <laughs> <laughs> and I started imagining like um, there's this uh, Buddhist um, author and, and monk, and he says to walk as though your feet are kissing the ground. Okay. Wow. That's deep. I like that. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good shit. Mm -hmm. I can get behind that. Walk as if your feet are kissing the ground. Yeah. And to me that also we're going to get like we're going to go off on a tangent here for a second, but that's also like respecting like respecting the environment, respecting your surroundings, yeah. right? Like, I don't know that we could, I don't know. I, when I retire, maybe you and I'll smoke weed and, and, <laughs> and, and cover that again. I don't know. <laughs> no, I've got like, you don't have to be high to be mindful. I've got like 21 years before that happens. So, which is a really big shame that you guys can't use alternative methods to feel better. You know, I've got friends that are psychiatrists and just, you know, the, the positive effects of microdosing with mushrooms, the positive effects of um, ketamine injections. There's so many things that are like alternative methods to like severe PTSD. Um, and it just sucks that a lot of that stuff isn't really accessible. To and I'm super yet. naive to a lot of that stuff. There's a guy I follow on Instagram. I've got sure. one of his shirts, uh, Raid Team Co. Shout out to, to those guys over there. Um, but they... The, the guy that runs the page has talked about uh, mushrooms in the past and yeah. it was, it was one of the, and he's a veteran. And so it's like, okay, you're going to say mushrooms are bad, but here's 47 orange bottles filled with medications right. that nobody can spell or pronounce. Yeah. Cause I'm, or know the long lasting effects of. Right. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm big into questioning some of those medications. Like I always, yeah. I always had an agreement with uh, one of my teammates, Brent, that if something ever happened to me on duty, and I was in the hospital. Do not let them give me any fucking like opiate based prescription because it the way that it's tweaked and, and what they've done to that, like the opioid epidemic across that's ravaged this country. I don't want to fuck. I don't want any fucking. Part and of you're highly likely to do it because you have such um, compromised. You know, hormone chemistry yeah yeah <laughs> like, absolutely your brain is gonna go like oh yeah well that's nice well and you hear you hear about so many cops and so many firefighters and we, I, one thing i learned early on was was the headline test and so 
if you're going to do something, understand that it's not going to be, um, you know, Kevin crashes his car. It's going to be off-duty police officer drunkenly crashes a car into light pole, causing thousands of dollars worth of damage. Off-duty firefighter does this. That fi- fire mm-hmm. captain does this. Police sergeant does this. Right? Like, um, yeah. but you look at like, okay, I was going somewhere with this. I so we're talking lost about medication. Like, I don't want to be on. A, we were talking about like yeah. microdosing with mushrooms right. and opiates and 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 you you look at all of these these first responders who have yeah. themselves like they have allowed themselves to become addicted to some of these opiate based medications and it's fucking destroyed their careers. It's destroyed their home lives. Yeah. And now what do they have to show for it? Like they're no longer employed with their what was at least at one time their dream job. And I maintain that if it ever stops being your dream job, you need to fucking find something else to do. And I even think that that's even a really hard statement to make because, you know, I kind of think about, it's not, again, another unpopular opinion. I think that you guys kind of have like this form of slavery going on where, like, where else are, you know, grown adults in their mid-30s going to make close to six figures with hardly any education? Yeah, that's fair. So it's kind of like, yeah, you may hate the job, but like if you're, if you're a slave to your pension or your benefits or like access to overtime and being able to provide for your family, it doesn't really become a, it doesn't really become like this active choice. You're not really this active participant in what's going on, which is also you had made a statement about like people becoming addicted to drugs and making this choice. I told one of my clients um, the other day, it's, it's kind of a newer concept, but it's really important to forgive yourself for the things that you've done in survival mode because you're not an active participant in your decisions because scientifically you're not accessing the same logical centers in your brain as when you're in a fight or flight situation and you're in a more emotional center. Sure. So if you're thinking about emotions and you have a drug that makes you feel better or not feel terrible, you're, you're not making this active choice to be on drugs. You're right. making your brain is making like a primal choice to feel better. I got schooled by a 16 year old. Uh, so I got hired at, you know, yeah. So on, on that whole, like, you know, this feels good. So I'm going to do it. And, and, and because it feels good, like I'm no longer making this choice. So I am, yeah. uh, in my field training phase or I'm fresh out of the fucking Academy. I still ran part of the reason I stopped running is because I fucking hated running after the Academy. I had a recruit training officer tell me that I was going to join the never run again club. And he was right. Um, and I'm working to combat that, but that's a separate story. But, uh, uh, in a, an unmarked, unmarked vehicle during a specific phase of training and come around the corner, uh, part of the city that's got alleyways kind of crisscrossing all through it. And sure as shit, there's this, this dude, well, again, we can't see him, right? We're like oh, fuck, a hundred yards away from him, but, uh, it is odd behavior to sit in a, a, sit on a power box in an alcove, uh, holding something to your arm in a like needle like fashion. Oh no! And so you might want to go talk to that person as a police officer, especially as a new police officer, right? You're like, fucking let's go get him. Um, and this dude, <laughs> uh, throws, I see a needle th- and tinfoil. Oh, so, no. all right, fair enough. That's like, like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Things that kind of go together. Right. And we pretty, I'm actually, I'm pretty sure that we did find a spoon and a lighter at one point in time. This guy had like a whole, a whole I've kit, right? That in real life, only in the movies. Um, and, and he takes off on me, runs out of his flip flops, which is still now like fun. I, I still kind of giggle about it. Now. I'm like, <laughs> like <laughs> it was like the, the Nike ones, the, like the Velcro, like oh, the shower yeah, shoes the type of slides, thing. Yeah. Um, 
And he he just runs out of those. And I chase this dude for like, I don't know, a quarter mile or something like that. And he nearly gets schmucked by a car on the street because he runs across a major thoroughfare, which is just not a smart thing to do. Oh, no. But you talk about fright, flight or flight, right? Like he wasn't, all he was trying to do was like, uh, guy in navy blue is bad. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be bad for me. Yep. I'm leaving. And I we we caught this kid. I can't. I can't say I caught him because it was like a fucking movie in that he went around a corner before me and I went around a corner and I was like, where would this dude just like pop ninja smoke? Like, where did he go? And then my FTO comes around the corner and like three seconds later is dragging him from out from underneath the bush. Like he was, yeah, this kid, this kid, hom- yeah, he like Homer Simpson himself into the bush. And then my FTO found him. I was like, oh shit. Hey, yay. We found him. And I'm like, Hey dude, I've been talking to him about his drug usage and uh his his kind of token phrase to me were uh his first one was uh, i can tell you're a fucking new guy and I'm like and this kid's 16 right so, and and one thing that i can say Which, about wow yeah dude had more street life experience than i will probably ever have right and we you know you talk about especially in in law enforcement respect respect goes two two ways and i learned it that day like especially because when i changed my tune with this kid. He was more forthcoming with me. He didn't end up changing his behavior. He ended up breaking into a house like two years later and one of our canines bit him in the face, but that's neither here nor there. Now he's in prison. So uh, what I said to him didn't really have a lasting impact on him. But when I was talking to him specifically about his drugs, he was like, dude, you're making it seem like I have a choice. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, shit. Okay. Like, what do you like? Tell me more about that. Like, what, like, what does that mean? Um, and he's like, I, I can't, I cannot help myself. Like, no matter what I do, if it's there, and for him it was, I think it was heroin. He was like, if heroin's there, like, that's it. That's all I want because yeah. I like the way that I feel afterwards. And I just, that is, like, dictionary definition of addiction, right? Is he just yeah. could not help himself. It was like, like, putting this glass in front of him, he'd, he'd just have to constantly, like, no, this is my glass. No, this is my glass. Yeah. Well, because this is, like, patterns and behavior and, like, how the brain just works. And that's kind of the hard thing that, that we're finding out now is we can't, we want to not be judged for our behavior because we're in survival mode, but we live in this world where there has to be consequences for some things. And that's kind of like where the world is getting kind of caught up. And there's a lot of tension is like, you hear a lot of folks who want to minimize criminal behavior and activity in people and want their, the totality of their life experience to be like taken into consideration. And it's just like, yeah. Like I want both of those things. Like yeah. I want their accountability to happen, but I also want there to be understanding and empathy for the fact that like when your brain is just chemical dependent and that can trace all the way back to the type of stress that your mother was in when she was forming you in her womb, like how dependent she was on stress chemicals Mm -hmm. and her body develops the same pattern and behavior in you. So that's where that kind of like hereditary alcoholism and like dependency comes in is a lot of that is, is formed in the wound, but womb, but then there's also this nurture that happens where you're used to seeing chaotic behavior. And so you, you literally just fit right into, you fit right in. Yeah. Like it all makes sense. And so then when you start getting access to other things that really like take it up a notch, well, then your brain is going like, well, fuck, like, I just want to feel good. It's thinking about being lit up, not like right and wrong. It's thinking like, high functioning or low functioning, it's not going to choose to be 
low functioning. Right. I w- what's funny is that I learned the most about working and I say working with as opposed to dealing with because and and again, that's like the language that we use and how we like internalize that. Yeah. I learned most about working with people who are suffering from addiction from a former narcotics detective who became a, a patrol sergeant. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just the way that he would talk, you'd think like, oh, this guy was a narcs detective. Like, oh, he's going to be a fucking hard ass on these people who are like, you know, have a gram of heroin or they've got one little cotton butt of heroin. But he wasn't. It was the way that he would talk to people was very like real and down to earth. And yeah. he would, because he wanted to understand them better truly because I, I do feel as though he wanted to try to help them. Mm-hmm. Like he had me drop somebody off at narcotics anonymous once like this dude had all these different options, right? Like, and he approached us, which was, I mean, kudos to that guy, right? I have no idea what his name is. I, I wouldn't say it here anyways, as a matter of privacy, but if he ever did listen to this kudos to this guy, because he approached uniformed police officers and said, I fucking need help. Yeah. And, we could have taken the route of like, I mean, I, I transported him to his NA meeting in a police car. So he got searched, but like he left his bags with somebody else. Like we could have been assholes and been like, well, you had those bags. So, Hey man, like, let's, Hey, what's, what's in those bags, dude. But it, it was very much like, okay, you, you want help. And right now you're in a state of mind that allows you to understand like, Oh, there's the glass again. I want the glass. I want the glass. I, I know I don't, like I really shouldn't fucking have that glass right now. And so uh, it was just kind of a, an interesting little tidbit. I think I learned the most honestly about, about that supervisor too. the, when I was working with him standing outside the gas station and him just like, Hey, come over here. This is so-and-so you're going to take him to his NA meeting. Like you want me to do like, Oh, like, is this our new, like, <laughs> is this what we're calling jail now? And like, no dipshit. You're taking him to his meeting so that this guy can get help. Like, Oh, okay. And they're in, right? Like, it's like, lies a different way of doing business for cops. Dude, that's, so, it's it's really unfortunate that a lot of you have felt so unsupported by your admin and kind of like back into this corner where you're kind of like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, so you fuck it all. Because that's, that is what the world is asking you to do. You know, we talk about in our organization, um, equipping officers with the ability to balance in their hands, compassion and courage. Like that's, that's a really hard thing to do to show up to your job and see consistency, but not develop bias. Like that's like, they're so, and they're so tightly connected and just like similar that to the world, what they see is like this prejudice and bias and whatever. And it's going like, man, I hear you, but also based off of my experience, yep. it's going to be this. And then what do you know? It is that. Well, right? and it's, a, it's a line that we put into so many police reports is based on my training and experience. <sighs> right. blah, 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 blah. Understanding your bias and, and knowing when it's coming through I, uh, is something that, again, I've tried to work on more now. Like you, you know, you respond to the same like mental health facility over and over and over again, say for example, um, it, it becomes difficult at a point that when your MDC, your little computer in your car bonks at you to let you know you have a call for service and you're like this fucking place again, there's your bias coming through. Right. And, and then that translates to your attitude on that call for service, whether, whether or not this person thinks that JFK's ghost is after them or whatever the case may be. Uh, I had a guy once tell me that, uh, he was too, he could not talk to me because he was speaking with the president. And I can tell you that the president of the United States was not there at the time, but, but to that guy, right. He wants to be taken. He wants you to listen to him. 
but it's hard to not sit there and be like, no, it's just another, just another crazy guy. And there's your bias coming through. And our biases come through in so many ways. And in doing that, you're also turning off a little bit of your humanity, which oh, yeah, adds absolutely. to that that feeling of I don't fit in or I don't belong. That feeds that that lie that's happening in your brain because you have you. you what are you going to feel sorry for everybody that you encounter on your shift? Like no, it's not. It's not realistic. That's right? not like, sustainable, right? Like, what do you? How does that work? How do you do all that? So you would be mentally exhausted. Like you would not be able to function. Yeah, but like that's what that's what the world wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, I think that that's where, you know, our big mission is, is it's like, I feel like actually I did a podcast the other day and the guy, we were talking about global equality and like, that's, that's what I want to go towards. Right. And he goes, <laughs> just, feels really impossible and he's like but I guess you know even though something sounds impossible doesn't mean that we can't move the needle a little closer sure and I was like that feels right my favorite line about something akin to that my favorite comedian is a guy named Kyle Kinane and in his one of his skits he's like we're not going to solve racism tonight but we're going to shave some of the sharp edges off my first guest that I had on Marvis right one of my <laughs> one of my best friends from work um grew up black in Southern California and had had his own, you know, childhood and his own experiences. And I'm pretty sure if you go back to my first episode, I say Marvis and I are not going to solve racism tonight, but we're going to shave off some of the sharp edges on it. Right. Because that's all you can do. Right. Yeah. We look back to all the impossible shit that we've done. Right. As humans from the first time that we like, oh, let's see. Uh, lightning bolt made fire. Oh, sticks make fire. Like, holy shit, I just made fire. And then you have like, I don't know, 1800 and something like the 1850s, maybe some, but some history nerd is going to, I'm a history nerd, but some bigger history nerd is going to get on my DMS. And, but like we took steamships and laid little cables across the ocean floor so that we could like tap shit out right. and people understood what we were shit. saying. Like we've wild. done wild shit in the past, right? We can, we can like do, that. we can do more wild shit, right? <clears throat> like our, our like litmus test for so many things has been, well, we put a person on the moon. Yeah. Like, okay. You're right. Our, and our next question should be what's next. And it doesn't have that. to, it doesn't have to be like, you know, Elon Musk is going to do his thing, but what can Erica and Kevin do? Right. What can, mm. what can my neighbor over there, you yeah. know, do what, what individually can we do to help? change things. That's why I started this show I love that. talking to Marvis about it. it. Marvis is the catalyst for all this is because I sat there after George Floyd and after Jacob Blake and after all these high profile police in custody deaths had occurred, whatever your opinions are on those, I sat there and I'm like, okay, I can continue to be like every other cop and I can piss and moan and moan and piss about being upset with the public and how I'm hated all the time. And Oh, I want somebody like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, what? Well, hold on. And I, I always joke that like, I've never been told that I'm a quiet human being. Like I can, I can talk. Okay. Maybe people don't like, haven't ever had a fucking cop sit down and be like, Hey, here's what, here's what it's really like. Right. Like, like you're, you're, it's like this, like I went out to, uh, my wife and I went out to dinner with her neighbors once. I didn't learn a fucking thing about them because they wanted to know more about like cop shit. Like I thought we were going to talk about how the HOA fees are bullshit. And like, yeah. I don't like that. I can only park on one side of the street. And can you believe that we only have bulk pickup on these days? But no, it was like dance monkey dance. Like what are all these things? Like, yeah. what's it like doing this? And what's it like doing this? Maybe people just want to fucking know. People want to know. And so, you know, that that's one of the challenges that you guys have. I was talking with a, um, with a commander the other day and I'm all, you know, 
in your effort to hold the fort down and sheepdog your way through your fucking career or the decade, you've also shielded people. Let me rephrase that in an effort to shield people from the violence that exists. You've also shielded them from the violence that exists. Yeah. So like we don't have access to the kind of information that you guys do. We don't understand the world and violence the way that you guys do, because it's not something that we interact with intimately. So for, for police to expect people to behave or think differently about your responses to public and high profile shootings is setting yourself up for failure. It's almost the impossible, right? It's not impossible, but it's the same way that they're asking you to have compassion and courage where it's just like, well, you don't understand the experience. It works both ways. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it goes back to, um, actually, I don't, I don't think I hit the record button yet, but when I said that, no, no, oh, no, I was no, like, no, are no, you no. kidding? No, for the la- we have been recording for an hour I'm and like, 16 I'm minutes. I'm not redoing that. <laughs> We're going to have to do it a different day. But, but when you and I were just, just talking over drinks before, before I'd started recording, before my drink was empty, before your drink was empty, uh, part of the hutch building is that the whiskey is going to be much closer oh, to the studio, right? Hey, I care for my guests. Um, but, uh, I think I'd said to you that, uh, that my stance has always been, that my reality is very different from everybody else's. But I used to use that as like a, like, Hey, let me poke you with the stick. Like you don't fucking know what I've seen, but, but it's the truth because, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not your fault. It's not my fault. Right? Like the things that I see, those are not normal. Like they're normal to me, but it's not what the rest of the world sees as normal. And it's not normal for the rest of the world. Right? Like I deal with maybe one to 2% of, of, uh, you know, violence and, and just heinous things that occur within the population. I don't see any of that. Right. And you don't see any of that. And you work in a field, I would say a field that is adjacent to law enforcement, right. With, with what you've worked with, with tech mobility is to, to help us. And by helping us, you're helping everybody else. Cause if you can help us understand what the fuck goes on in our heads and with our bodies and, you know, our stress and our physical responses to those stress, then we might not fly off the handle at somebody, right? You know, like it's happened. Every cop's done it. Well, you had said something earlier about the approach to SISM Mm -hmm. and how it's kind of like, hey, you were in a shooting. If you need something, reach out. It's, It's saying, you know, you might not have a reaction. So if something does pop up, reach out. That is a very dumb response because it's... I could have come up with another word, but it's dumb in the sense that like bodies are not as unique as we would like to think the body is going to react in a very, in a very few select ways. So knowing that the body has to process trauma and has to process hard and difficult situations to not make things mandatory is a disservice. And it's, being irresponsible with the amount of authority that you have. It's kind of like telling a kid, you know, that they have to make these like adult decisions when it's just like the brain is what? That doesn't make any sense. Like you should know you have to be able to make this decision for them because they don't have that ability to make that decision. Same thing. Like these are your subordinates who are going through traumatic situations. It's your responsibility. It's your duty to support them because they are going to experience stuff that, is a fact. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of like, if it's when it'll be become an issue. So like waiting until things are to the point of liability 
And then, you know, that's where you get these stories of like, they're going to go into their locker and like, what did it take for an officer to get to the point where he's not, where, where like his coworkers aren't sure if his gun is safe in his locker. Right. That didn't happen overnight. Well, and I think it's also on us as the, as the officer who experiences said traumatic event to open ourselves up to the, Hey, look, not right now. Like, Hey, you, you just pulled a gun on somebody who had a knife and you came real like finger on trigger, pulling slack, pulling slack. Oh shit. They dropped the knife. Cool. I don't have to shoot him. You came very close to ending, ending a human life That's and, a big deal. and just use that as an example for the scenario. Right. Um, or, you know, you had a felony stop and you were, again, we're pulling guns out on somebody or you got into a fist fight with some, someone, yeah. um, and, and afterwards, hey, hey, you want to talk about that? No, not really. Okay, I can respect that in the moment. Yeah. Sure, having having been there. Like, I'm not going to pester you about it because it's just going to piss yeah. you off. But it should be on us as the officer to recognize, like, hey, I don't want to talk about it right now. Let me let me work on my headspace a little bit and let me, let me just process what mm-hmm. I just went through. But, you know, uh, we'll talk tomorrow. But then, you know, again, as the friend or the partner, it's on you to be like, hey, you said we we're going to talk about this today. Like, dude, that's not fucking again. That's a, that's a way out of left field thing that happened. I think that that right there is, you know, so, so big part of being able to integrate a trauma into your experience is being able to verbalize that it was a traumatic experience or that it was out of the normal and weird immediately after it happens, which a lot of officers don't get that ability to do because then you're on to the next yeah, call. It's, okay. Shit. All right. Hey, close that with a report to me and I'll be en route to the next one. Right. So I think even just being able to verbalize to one another, even if it's like a split second to be like, Oh man, that was fucked up. We got to talk about that later. Like it, to, to leave someone with the thought of don't try and rationalize that experience. Don't even fucking waste your time trying to like be like, Oh, <laughs> that could happen on any Tuesday. Yeah. no, no, don't integrate that as like a normal part of who you're supposed to be because that's not what you're built to do. Right. Well, and that's only going to affect, you know, when you get home, right? Like I, I the, yeah. older, the older I get, and I think, I mean, now like, now I've been married for a few years and now I have my own son. Like I've got my kid and, and I, I, priorities change and your outlook on life changes, but just being willing to, be like, well, okay, like that was fucked up and I need to talk to someone about that. Like, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, like I said earlier, it, are you going to talk to the same three people who were on that call with you? Like, are you going to bring that home to your spouse? Like who you talk to that you've got to kind of figure that out again, like the agency can put things in place, but do I want to go to a, the, the SISM team member that yeah. I've never fucking worked with? I don't I, like, yeah, like, hard. Hey, I know you work here and I guess, better you than like somebody who I can remember the mental health counselor that uh, we had to sit with to like uh, to get hired and the walls were fucking purple. Like, I don't really want to go back into the purple room again. It was weird. Like the, I, the purple room. it was, yeah, it was, I, it was very uncomfortable to be in that purple room. Like I'd rather just that like, like a calming room or something. Like I, I don't know if that was the goal, <laughs> but it was the wrong shade of like, if you want a calming meditative purple, I, I operate in the Crayola 12 count box, so I'm not entirely sure what color I'm like. Actually, it's like this color right here. This oh, or like that's terrible, or like that. Uh, like if you want to, like I want like a very soft violet, I guess, not okay. like a not like a neon yeah. or a very like deep and angry purple color. Okay. If that makes it, it all matters. sense to somebody, <laughs> but it matters. Um, but we we uh, I did promise you, and I I brought you here to talk about tech mobility. 
And I feel like we have been talking about it. We have been it. talking about it. Like I was just going to say to this is so 75% of the officers that we surveyed don't talk to superiors about work stress. Uh, yeah, I can absolutely see that. I have been fortunate to work with supervisors who give a shit. Mm. Um, sergeants and lieutenants. Um, yeah. And e even, and there are some people that people within my agency are going to call me like a brown noser right now, but I can distinctly remember um, being on one of those union retreats and my wife had had a miscarriage. It was our first pregnancy. And that was sort of like weighing on my mind. And the assistant chief to my agency just sat next to me on a wall. We were both drinking cocktails and he just talked to talk to me and he was like, so what's been going on? And I got to the point where I'm telling the assistant chief who probably didn't fucking know my name at that point. I mean, it probably helped that I was drinking. <laughs> I was going to say, get a little sauced up. Get a little sauced like, up. Rah, 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 well, and, and just to be like, yeah, like, like we had a miscarriage and then, be like, and then he shared his own stories from that and, mm. and, and how, Hey man, like it'll happen. He was fucking right. I mean, I've got my son's adorable. Um, but just sharing about being a yeah. father and like how scary it is and all that, like who, what agency LAPD's assistant chief is not sitting down with a brand new officer usually. And, and I, maybe they are, I, I've never worked for LAPD, but I'm guessing like a lot of these agencies, the yeah. assistant chiefs, the, these admin folks are not fucking sitting down and chit chatting with, with line patrol officers about things. So one of the things that we, we hope to do with our social media is to help destigmatize and kind of normalize people's experiences with hard shit and, and in an effort to help separate <clears throat> your identity from your trauma and from whatever low points are in your life, whatever dark thoughts, we want to separate your identity from that. And we believe that if we can help you do that, then you're going to be able to look at, you know, we kind of use this example, like trauma or whatever is something that happens to you. It's an event that you're, you can hold and, just like something that's separate from you, it can be integrated and unlearned. It's this thing that happened to you. It's not you. So we hope to be able to offer like, hey man, you're probably going through a lot of stress. So we talk about, you know, on top of regular police stress, you're a human. You talk about a miscarriage. That's massive. Maybe not so much to the male as much as it is to a female who's going through it, but you're sort of left, because that's a taboo topic in general, so you're sort of left with all of these unmanaged and unexpressed emotions because how do you express that to your partner? Sure. And then you put on top of that culture that you've learned in policing, which is to not discuss a lot of things. So you're, you've got a lot of like uphill climb things that are happening. We want to help get rid of some of that in an effort to make resources and wellness and conversations and dialogue a little bit more accessible and, and normal, like yeah. easier to have. Yeah. And I think through that, again, you're just going to have a healthier police officer yeah. and with healthier police officers, you're going to have, not only will you have, in the moment, maybe better decision making, and and I wouldn't even. Yes. I, I don't know that I. I mean, yes, no, de better decision making. Yes, but but longevity, right? Like you're going to last longer in this career. You're going to be more sustainable, right. and your agency is going to get. Not to make it sound like you know the whipping post, but your agency is going to get more out of you if you can function at a higher or higher order, right? Yeah, I mean the idea of not banking all of your over like your sick pay. Novel concept, but it feels really good to just take a day off yeah. and do fuck shit. Like that's, that is productive to you living and thriving and feeling hopeful and alive. Like that's sustainability. Like you're, yes, you're a police officer, but if you've put all of your identity into being a police officer, when your job shifts, you're unable to handle 
that type of change because you're not, you haven't opened up the possibility to there being more. Right. Like all of your eggs are in one basket. You know, we talk about that slavery to pension. Well, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just stuck with that, that thought always just sitting in the back of your mind. Like, well, well, if I, if, well, or, or like my agency yeah, and a lot of other agencies, you know, you see the cops sitting in the intersection that dude's making a shitload of money usually, yep. right? Or the the cops at the sporting games, yeah. right? They're they're there working extra duty or overtime. Mm-hmm. But fuck, like, hey, cool. If you want to, if if you're trying to save up, like, hey, we're gonna take a trip and I need to convert currency. Like, I'm gonna go work a couple shifts at the Cardinals game, or I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do the construction. You know, sit in the intersection and make sure nobody runs the crane over or anything. Well, the crane would run you over, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, but don't. I, I great piece of advice I was given probably within my first six months of, of being a police officer was from an officer who told me, do not, I'm forgetting how he worded it exactly, but it was basically don't treat all the overtime you work as part of your paycheck. Yeah. Because then you sit there and you live that lifestyle of you live. And that's easy, right? Easy to let yourself fall into that trap because you can buy yourself all the toys and take yourself on all the trips. And then you realize like life happens, right? You get married, you have a kid, you're not working all this overtime or extra duty jobs. And then you're going like, Oh shit, where'd all my money go? Well, no, like you're making the same amount of money you've always made. You were just, were always doing those ancillary things. And now you're not able to do those because you have other responsibilities, but you let yourself go out and buy, you know, the truck and put the lift kit on it. And you bought the big house that maybe you didn't need, or you're, you know, you planned all these extravagant trips. You got bottle service somewhere that you probably ordinarily wouldn't do, <laughs> right? Like, uh, I've never actually had bottle service anywhere. So you haven't. No. You're not living. Well, no, that is a fun little splurge. It is a fun little splurge. It no, is a fun I, one. well, is it bottle service if they bring you a bucket of Corona to your table? <laughs> no, no. Well, then no. I've never had bottle service. <laughs> what? Uh, when it comes to tack mobility, what was the catalyst? What's what started it? At what point in time, like, did you just wake up in the morning and like, holy shit, like, or was it much more gradual than that? It was gradual. So, uh, you know, you kind of referenced how your, how your life changed after George Floyd happened and whatever. So for me, I had a similar experience in 2016 and there was a shooting, which Several officers have watched this and have communicated to me. They're like, oh, that was a bad shoot. And I'm just going like, oh. So, so the shooting happens on the news. And I, at the time, was working for a switchblade company, which I still do. And I'm at an NRA shootout. And I was just like watching this thing on the news. And I was like, I just started crying. And I had no reasoning for feeling that way. Like, I didn't know this person. Like, I didn't really, I wasn't really involved with a lot of, like, Black Lives Matter type of, um, like, emotions or, or movement and theories, whatever. So I came to work the next day and just, everyone was just talking shit. That just, that normal defensive, yeah, well, and just, like, where's the facts and let's wait and, like, just all this bullshit. We're, we're going, like, come on come on. That was fucked up. So once that happened, I decided to kind of take matters into my own hands because once that shooting happened in my, from where I'm coming from, that kind of like really set things into like a really fast motion in terms of how widely hated police officers were and just kind of like some of the negative things that were being said. And those were just really inconsistent with who I had learned police officers were 
just based off of my like unique. your personal experiences. Yeah, okay. which you know, I mean, I've met over a hundred thousand police officers across the United States. Like, I have a pretty unique. Like, I specialize in this. I don't sure. know anyone else that can say those things. So I'm going like, this just is it. Like, I'm not, I'm not happy and I'm upset and something's not right. But this also isn't right. So um, I spent four years just interviewing officers, but I spent about two years asking um, officers of color just about community policing and just trying to understand, because to me, that was kind of like the solution to like the the chasm between police officers and communities of color was like community policing. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what we need. We need more community policing. And so in, in an effort to understand that, I started to find out a lot of the ways that it doesn't work a lot of the ways that communities of color treat community policing in like in, in real settings versus what we see on the news. Sure. Um, and the questions just had this major baseline of fucked up shit, just fucked up calls. And so then, you know, I naturally started asking a question about how that impacted mental health which is when I started uncovering, you know, the response of like, we're fine. It's not, a, it's fine. It's fine. That was weird, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's just all of like the terrible jokes and I'm going like, okay, but here's what I know about trauma because, you know, I've come from this yoga background where I'm a certified instructor. Like I learned trauma education and I started learning about the physio, like the physiological effects of trauma. Right. And I'm going, well, it doesn't add up either. <laughs> so then I got really intentional with my questions for about two years, just trying to understand more about the officer experience of what it means to be a patrol officer versus an investigator versus someone that's an admin versus SWAT and just all the different type of officer. Mm -hmm. And again, that baseline of trauma was there. So I thought to myself, how the fuck are we going to have a conversation, a, a logical, sustainable, proactive conversation about change and race in our country if both groups of people who are trying to have this conversation are in survival mode, in a fight or flight response, not able to access the smartest part of their brain, the better, the best version of themselves. So I decided to create a program that made wellness and recovery accessible because that was one of the things that I learned too, was that there's a really big privilege that the rest of the world has that you guys don't. And that's time. Like if I see something fucked up, I can take time off. I don't have to go to another call. I don't have to be re-traumatized every time that I pass an intersection. Mm -hmm. And when I am, right, like I was rear-ended, every time I fucking pass that intersection or come to like a stop, I immediately think that that's going to happen. So it's just going, you guys haven't had the same type of accessibility to recovery and you probably won't ever have the same type of access just because of the nature of your job and how violence works. But I wanted to make it accessible in the ways that work for you. So you may not be able to, you know, I don't even know. You may not even be able to take off. I work with a lot of couples and they're like, well, I don't have time. I don't have extra time to focus on this. I go, it may not, your, your schedule may not change, but it's all about coming to the understanding that you need that space to recover. So how does that impact the conversation that you have with your spouse saying, 
I am going to go through these really high chemical changes throughout the day. And if I don't take care of myself throughout the day, when I get home, I'm in, my body's going to naturally crash and it's going to seem like I'm isolating or I'm upset with you. But that's because I can't process recovery and regular human emotion of sure. our children. So it's just saying, how do we just expand the dialogue to help folks feel more understood because things aren't exactly as we've always known them. Um, and I think that we're, I think that it's resonating with a lot of people. People are just going like, Hey, that feels right. I like that. Yeah. I know one thing that we started to do, um, on my last patrol team was, and, and COVID, well, it's no big mystery, no matter, pretty much no matter what you do in this world, COVID really fucked your shit up last year. But we would always ask people like, Hey, here's a business card. Fill out the form online, put my name at the top of it. Come on, ride along. Like you got 10 hours. Yeah. I can answer any question that you want. You can see the world through my windshield. Right. Yeah. Um, and then what I started doing was, you know, like I am probably the whitest fucking police officer that you've ever met. Maybe. I hope not. You're looking a little Irish. I'm, well, hey, big surprise. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to like, I know that sounded like bias. No, no. no. <laughs> Profiling. But. No, if you see my ancestry printout, it is all like Norwegian, uh, Irish, <laughs> English, like the English I knew about. My grandparents only came here it in came 1949. It came with a free bottle of sunblock. Oh, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> No, the, like I always joke to people that I always wore long sleeves. I always wore long sleeves for like an extra barrier. You're like that the kid world. that swam with yeah. like the SPF like long sleeve yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And nope. still got burned. And still got burned. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would always tell people that I have to wear long sleeves working graveyards because I could get sunburned by the moon. So, um, but I remember being in this dude's apartment and he probably walked in that, you know, it was, it was like a domestic situation, right? Black male, black female. And this dude probably thought as soon as we walked through the door, fucking these guys because it is myself and big surprise another white police officer right well i get fuck, welcome to 21st century policing i don't know what else to tell you we're working on it is what i'm told but i don't actually know um but at the end of it all like he didn't end up getting arrested right ended up being kind of a like this a very kind of a weak disorderly conduct situation and kind of both sides and you're like man like do we really need to push this issue like nah you know um which in the state of arizona is fairly uncommon because our domestic violence laws are so strict on the police officers, right? We're getting into another tangent, but generally speaking, if there's a DV situation in the state of Arizona, somebody going to fucking jail that night. Uh, but there just wasn't enough probable cause to arrest really either of these people. And I remember this dude had, uh, and it's something that I, I'm, I'm familiar with now, but he had like FaceTime on and there were like three other, it was his, basically his family members on. I, I don't know why, if he was trying to talk to them or if he was trying to show them like, so that they, he had more like eyewitnesses. I have honestly no idea. You know, you, you hear about like the, the, Hey Siri, I'm getting pulled over app and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just asked him, I'm like, Hey man, what, like, what can we do better? And he was like, what, the, what, what, what? I'm like, yeah, like, no, I'm like, I want your fucking opinion. And even his mom was on the phone. Like, what did he just say? Like, and I'm like, yeah, what can we do better? And we had like a 15 minute conversation just the, like the three of us, me, him and his mom on, on Skype or whatever it was, FaceTime or whatever. And, uh, her big statement to me that stuck with me, but I mean, I've now since left patrol, right. And my, my interaction with the public is much more limited, mm -hmm. um, as an investigator, but, uh, his mom said, ask that question. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay. But again, that's, it's on us and I'm not patting myself on the back. Like do your fucking job as a police officer, be a part of the community that you're protecting. 
And sometimes to be a part of that community, yeah. you got to get, I always tell people, you cannot build relationships from behind your windshield, right? Don't just sit there and run radar all day long. Like yeah. get out and say hi to somebody every but now and then. But that's the culture, right? That's some of the culture that a lot of you guys are trying to change, which I think is really helpful. The world is just going in this different direction than policing wants to go. And unfortunately because police administrations have like really dug their heels into going like, no, this is the structure. This is what we're doing. Then you get introduced these policies and laws that don't make any sense because people are going, okay, yeah, yeah. And then they get defensive and come up with these things that don't account for your experience or logic or like the way that the world really works. Because again, administrations, shield people from the violence of the world sure so it's going man both sides want the same thing you know you asked me a freaking question like if i had a microphone oh that where that's the that's the last question that i met i did text you that question just so you can kind of prepare for it but that's the last question that i ask you but that this is it Oh, okay. Well, well, Erica, you have a microphone to the world. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does the world need to hear from Erica? This is it. The people the, like we're all saying the same thing. We all want to be understood and listened to and heard. That's literally uh, blue lives matter. That's what that means is like, no, my life matters. And the fact that I'm showing up and putting it into date, like I'm endangering my life in an effort to help people like that matters. And I want you to know my experience. I want you to understand why that was a bad shoot. I want you to understand why that was a good shoot. I want you to understand why we need to wait. I want you to understand why I'm sad about that police officer that got shot over there. Cause it could happen to me. Black people are saying the same thing. And that's what Black Lives Matter means. And that's what Black Lives Matter is. So it went from, you know, when Black Lives Matter first came out in like 2015, 2016, or at least being popular, it was looked at as this very like threatening and just sort of like, well, yeah, well, all lives matter. And it was like, no, 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 no. That was like a cry for understand my experience. And then we saw, you know, then we saw the thin blue lives matter. And it, because your experience isn't being heard. It doesn't matter to people. And it's a big part of the story. Like the big, like, you know, macro story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I, I think that more people hopefully will begin to understand with, with what we're doing is there's room for both sides of the story. And it's not until we, engage both sides of the story and really like extrapolate, you know, the good shit from it that we're going to be able to make proactive change. Like sure. we're not going to be able to do that without doing that stuff. And I think it's just scary for people to kind of sort through. Well, it's easy for me to, to sit. It's easy for me as a white police officer to be like, you have no idea what my life is like as a police officer. But it's like, I, it's like I told, I told Marvis, I told people since then, like, I also, I didn't grow up black in America. I have no idea what that's like. Yeah. And so who am I to decide what your feelings are? Right. And that was, that's something where I had to eat a lot of croak, right? Because it's, it's one thing you grow up in a culture. I say, I say grow up, right? You, you go into a culture of like, okay, cops, we're going to stick together and I'm going to catch probably more fucking flack from this than I know what to do with. But 
we we're stuck in this culture of like, Hey, let's circle the wagons and just protect us. If you'd fucking go out and ask yeah. somebody, Hey, how can we do better every now and then I'm not asking you to do it every day. Yeah. You may not have the opportunity to do it every day, but if you ask somebody every now and then you might be fucking surprised at the change that you, you as the individual officer mm-hmm. in your beat can make. I'm a huge proponent wow. of, of beat officers working an area, uh, and, and really like, Hey, get into that area. I worked the same beat for three years. Right. And then the one time I left that to go work a different area of the city, it was, it was alien. It was foreign. I didn't like it. And, and then just when I was starting to get used to that area, the, the opportunity came for me to go back to my old beat. And I was like, Oh, yay, my spot. Yeah. Um, but that's when you start to, you start to know the people right within your, within your little section of the community. But it's not enough to just be like, oh, man, you see that fucking, like, oh, the, this fucking address right. again. Right, not looking for the crime. Talk to them. Well, and then also, like, there's more to a neighborhood than the fucking fuck shit, right? Yeah. You guys are prone to negative thinking. So it's like you look. <laughs> you know our secrets, Erica. Why do you know all of our secrets? Yeah. No, we are. You you do. You see that address <laughs> pop up and you're like, fuck me, this house again? <laughs> or that. And, or and ambulance yeah. drivers are the same way, oh right? Oh my like, God, ambulance drivers are like, terrible. <laughs> where they're just like, I guess I'll intubate them. I can I, think of one, one house. I can think of one house in my beat. It was in the northern part of my beat that me, the firefighters, and well, and, and for our city, firefighters and the ambulance guys, it's all one. They're all firefighters. Just yeah. every other week you get stuck on the ambulance or whatever it is, but we all were, we'd all walk up at the same time. And I was only there because of a prior threat to a specific fire crew or something like that. Uh-huh. But we'd all walk up there and we'd just look at each other and be like, fuck, here we go again. Like, hi, me again. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> why the fuck are the cops here? Well, it's because you threatened to shoot one of them last time. And so now like they're all back there because they don't like you very much. Cause you were an asshole. And, uh, you don't like me very much because I'm a fucking cop and well, and here we are and we're all just hating each other. Like, but let's get down to the root of the problem. Like what? Why don't you like your firefighters? Which is very odd, right? People love firefighters, big red fire engines, all those muscles, tight yeah. t-shirts. Come oh, on yeah. now. Like, oh yeah. Throw your turnout gear in the, uh, in, for it. in the barbecue. If you haven't been on a fire in a while <laughs> and then go to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> so, I job. love my firefighters. If, if I'm ever hurt, they're the first ones coming in for me, usually yeah. speaking. So, you know, uh, no, no big dig on, on my firefighters, but, uh, it's only because I tried to be a firefighter once. Like, let's get down to the real we, Erica. You're helping me cut through a lot of my, my youth See? trauma right now. Look at this. See? Schedule an appointment with me. You want to do it. And so, uh, just to, now that you've answered my final question, I do have just kind of a, a last few things on tech mobility. What are some of the, like the, you say schedule an appointment? What do people, Oh yeah. what do people yeah. come over for? Um, so the, the program that we talked about earlier that I created, so we actually turned it into, you know, COVID actually was a huge blessing for us. Well, because, good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it gave us the time to kind of like figure out what we want to do. So we actually took the training and turned it into a four hour post uh, certified training. So, cool. um, and it's recognized in all 50 States. So you can learn recovery, but it also counts towards your training. So it's not for yeah. nothing. For those of you, if you're not a cop, post peace officer standards and training. So we have to have so many hours of continuing education per year. And then you can take like elective courses. Yeah. Um, it's usually, you know, agency dependent. A lot of it is driven by cost. Let's, I mean, right. We all work for somebody right. and somebody has to answer for the amount of money that's spent. Um, 
I have a guest coming on, Josh, uh, hopefully coming on actually tomorrow. But whenever he does come on, he he talks a lot about training budgets and yeah. just how minimal they are. Um, but, oh, you got stats and data. So I have stats. Okay, so. Um, My girl Erica so coming in clutch. Listen, okay, so this says don't defund the police. So the U.S. Labor Bureau says the average U.S. officer has an income above the poverty line. 71% of our officers say they can't survive without overtime. Oof. I don't work hardly. I mean, like budgets are low, like people don't, this is another one of those generalized things that any trauma or, or resentment will enable you to, to do. Think about it. Like when you're in a relationship with your spouse and they do something that bothers you and it's reminiscent of something, it goes into this bank of like all the time or mm -hmm. always, or you're never sure when it's like, let's get real like let's get some real hard data here and let's like look at that we've kind of lost that ability so we think of like departments as having like this thousands of dollars and whatever the, yes there are some thousands of dollars but they're used for dumb shit and then like the important shit just doesn't happen a lot of the time yeah or you know you got ten thousand dollars in a training budget for 350 police officers that you start to parse that out it doesn't go very far Right, which, and then you end up getting training that's bullshit, like a department um, for their bias training ended up using um, Starbucks online training. That, that whatever. <laughs> it's, say it's, it again. Just yeah, like, like say it out loud how fucking stupid that is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> Because let, let's because let's go to Starbucks and, and, and give them training on how to interact with people that was yes. taken from a police yes. department, right? Like we can't. Right. Like we're not, but we're not all the we've same. Gotta type save of money. Yeah. Gotta save dollars. And like, oh, cool. We've got this out. Oh, we've got this training that's done, whatever. So our hopes is to go. You mentioned earlier about decision making. Um, I had a guy, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Vertra. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I just had my first uh, Vertra experience a week ago. It was, I was there to observe. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, uh, Part of my observation to actually kind of nice was at these for these folks that were doing this up at Haley Strategic in Scottsdale. They were not police officers. They're just, uh -huh. you know, normal everyday folks. Um, and they were doing use of force scenarios. Yeah. And I was actually there with a, another Chip, who another guy who I hope to bring on the podcast. Chip is largely responsible for me coming to the agency that I worked for because he was the first guy that I rode along with. He has since retired. Lucky him. Um, but Chip and I were able to talk to these folks from a like. Chip would turn and be like, okay, hey, here's a detective or here's a responding patrol officer. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you tell them? And right. I was and and I was able to go through their scenario with them. Yeah. And then at the end of it was like, okay, by the way, um, you're one person who kept on writing. At no point in time did you ever tell me that they had a gun. At no point in time did you give me this information. Mm -hmm. And and just just yeah. to help them understand. But no, Virtra is a I having now been exposed to it, Virtra is a fantastic system. It's not a lot of people equate yeah. it to duck hunt. It's, it's way, it's way, way fucking more. cooler than duck. Yeah. Hunt. <laughs> so that was actually, um, so, so that was one of the catalysts for me that, that caused me to wonder different questions. So I went through, um, I went through one, I want to say in 2017, it was at an FBI conference and, you know, at that time I was like, I was in the thick of asking a lot of those questions about sure. like, why can't you shoot him in the leg? And, you know, these very, Questions that are still being asked today. 
And I went through the simulation and I came out and I just like burst into tears. I had like the little shock back on it. And so I like, Oh, that thing's a real pain in the ass too. (laughs) Right. And so I got like shocked by it. Like I, I shot and then we're going through afterwards and they're at exactly what you said, where they're just going, you called out orders correctly here. You didn't cover yourself there. What was on the other side of that person that you shot at? What was happening in this corner? And for the first time, and, and this it fucked me up and it continued to fuck me up, but I started to wonder if I, you know, I wonder if what the world sees as bias and prejudice is more of a trauma response. Tell me more about that. That's, I'm intrigued. So like we see on the news, an officer pulls over someone and things escalate super quickly. Shots are fired and this thing happens like all of a sudden, right? We tend to look at this very ordinary and familiar situation or picture of a white cop and a black person and we fill in the storyline, right? If we see a shooting happen, it gets filed under this is bias, this is racism, this is that same story versus this officer, did they see multiple videos like this online? Gotcha. Have they seen this exact scenario play out in a way in which this person pulled a gun super fast and something happened? Um, or, Or even down to the very, you know, keep looking at my face. Yeah. Don't stop looking at my face. Tell me what is below aha. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Right. You can't, you can't physically make out your peripherals when you're in a situation like that because of how the human body is set up. So going in and experiencing the physiological response of, of a shoot and mind you, that was just a simulation all of my questions about, well, can't you, and all of these logical, precise, like, pre, like you would have to be a precise shooter, clear of any emotional, um, uh, oh, like, um, influence to be able to do these things that the world is asking. What if it's not that? What if this is more of a trauma response and we need to train officers better with, or with better stress inoculation or, or help them understand what's happening to their body as a fact, not, mm-hmm. not, Oh, it might happen. No, you, you're, you're going to go into television. That's a fucking fact. Yeah. So it's just, it, it, it helped me. It made me wonder a bigger question. Sure. Well, when you talk about like not going into tunnel vision and what does this happen? I think all too often speaking again, as I worked patrol for almost four years, um, you, I started to notice that you, like we would rely on our prior experiences. You start to treat yeah. what you just did on the field as a training opportunity, yep. which isn't necessarily incorrect because you can learn from everything. Yeah. But do you want to be learning that lesson for the first time right then and there on the road? No, you can't. No, you don't. But I, it, practically, you can't train for every scenario. Right. But you can train for maybe similar situations, or you can at least take lessons from other places that you've one of them being videos, we would show a lot of videos in briefing, but it, with what you're saying now is that you start to see, you start to show these videos so that you can see, okay, Hey, this is, this is where officer safety went lax. This is where this happened. Mm-hmm. This is where this happened. Mm-hmm. And then that's all you're fucking thinking that's about when you drive out the gate. literally all you're thinking of. It's kind of like, don't think of an apple. Don't think of an apple. Don't, it's right. all I'm fucking thinking of is an apple. And so again, this is all new science that is telling us it's, you know, in the, in the, 
psych world. It's like wherever um, focus goes, energy flows. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you have two groups of people from my perspective, and this is just my opinion based off of my specialty. I think that you have two groups of people that have had a longstanding traumatic relationship that has been highly publicized and visual. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of emotion around it to where both sides are manifesting these situations that don't necessarily have to happen. But because a lot of the, um, dysfunction that we experience with racism or division happens at such, at such a young age, we develop into adults thinking that these are truths, that these are things that, you know, how many times have you heard someone like tell you that you're a racist cop yeah, or ample. you're only here to whatever it's their formation when they were younger, what were they being taught? How true is what they were saying, right? So it's, you know, it's just about going, yes, let's prepare for the worst, but also are we training for the best? Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and you, again, you look at, at generationally, geographically, right? Like you get, you get somebody who grows up in East LA, vastly different experiences growing up than me in, in, Gilbert. in North Scottsdale or in Gilbert or in Mesa yeah. or, or in you know, North, you look at, and again, West side versus West east side, side versus East side, yeah. South side, you know, you know, are you South of the tracks in Chicago or are you North of the tracks in Chicago? And, you know, um, which, which exit off the New Jersey turnpike like that, that denotes, you know, different responses from people. Right. Um, and that leads to, again, you talk about both sides kind of ultimately, I think you're right. We all want the same things, but it, it for me to look at so you know when i pull somebody over and they're shaking like a fucking leaf and it's happened and you're like well hey and, and what I, are I, you hiding versus well and for me it didn't it wasn't so much what for you what are you hiding is why why are you afraid of me um that was kind of like be, right so like but, but what have they seen it? on the news right or what story so i grew up with the understanding that police weren't my friend or anyone that i should trust Nothing traumatic happened to me, but I remember very vividly a story that my dad told me of him being pushed up against a car because he fit the description of someone. Mm -hmm. My dad is, he, you know, for lack of a better term, like people would be like, you talk like a white guy, like he's, you know, the whitest black guy, blah, 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 whatever. So those stories that was told to me, I grew up with my young impressionable mind that's not fully formed until I'm 25 thinking that this is reality, that this is my truth. So when I get pulled over, I am, I am wondering if there's going to be a situation where this cop for some reason thinks that I'm doing something and pulls his gun out. I work for cops. Like mm -hmm. cops love me. And that's still still in your mind. Right? My thought process. Yeah. Or you like, I'm worried that you're going to judge me because I'm Brown. Right? Like does he know that I'm brown when we're meeting? Like, is this going to be an issue? No one's being racist to me, but my formative years was when racism happened to me. So I assume that that's what's going to happen. Right. Because it's, and it's like I said, like I, I didn't grow up as a, as a black member of, yeah. or a black youth in, you know, in, yeah. in America, I didn't grow up as a member of a black society. I grew up as a white kid. Yeah. Right. And, and my growing up was very, very different. Yeah. And, 
the person that I pull over, I don't know what their experiences were. Right. You talked to, my, again, I, I go back to Marvis, right? It was my first interview episode. He is a police officer, still gets nervous when a cop gets behind him. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about earlier having a more diverse police force. What I found in doing a lot of the community policing and only interviewing officers of color was that there's a, there is a disconnect or a division within law enforcement community of what the normal culture is, what all things you like, you know, say seventies, butt rock and, you know, fucking Spartan helmets and shit <laughs> like that. I just died in your arms tonight. Yeah. Oh, that's the eighties, but you know, I don't know. About, yeah. So it's going like, there is a culture that exists. And if, and if you're outside of that culture, then you don't feel like home and you feel different and whatever. So that happens within every culture and community, but now you have like these two that don't see any similarities. Sure. So then it's just like, Oh my God. Yeah. One We're thing I've noticed about like one thing I've noticed about working for police departments is a lot like high school. There's like little clicks. There's a ton of clicks. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't fit, you know, even, even down to white people aren't super loud. That's not what white people are known for. Black people are known as fuck for being loud. You know, and just not even notice and not even knowing that that's a cultural difference and that that's okay and that there doesn't need to be like this, like, you know, conformity to one type of expression within mm -hmm. your culture. There's just, there's just lots of things that we're learning now. And so if departments don't want to kind of loosen up the reins on what has to happen and the way that things should be, you're going to miss out on this opportunity to diversify your police force which if you don't diversify your police force, you're going to have outsiders telling you how to do it. Starbucks is going to tell you how to yeah. do it. And if there's one thing cops hate, it's people outside telling us what the fuck to do. Right. Right. Cause we just can't. Cause like, it doesn't make sense. Cause God damn it. You never done my job. And mm -hmm. to a point you're right. Like it doesn't, and doesn't, make, doesn't sense. make sense. Right. Like I'm, I'm not going to go, you know, to a, uh, the surgeon who fixed my knee and been like, Hey, you could have done that better. Right. Like, right. like let's, let's play that video back and, and go through it. So, no, I, we've talked about a hell of a lot of good things here uh, tonight. We've had a really good episode. I've kept you here 30 oh minutes God. past time. I know. I hope you we don't have like, forever. I hope you don't have like a, a very needy cat or anything like that. Ew, I'm so, not a cat person. I'm not a cat person either. I'm deathly allergic to him. Literally, I will die. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. EpiPen in the whole nine yards. So it's, it's a lot oh. of fun. Yeah. We responded I'm to a burglary person. at like 630 in the morning one time and, uh, uh, I was the first one to go in through the like bashed out window at the time. <laughs> and I like fall to the ground and I'm surrounded by cats. It's like my fucking nightmare. And I'm like, yeah, no. And, and you're like, well, no, I'm literally like, I mean, I got to help. There's only three of us. Like we got to clear this like 4,000 square foot house. And then I immediately, uh, we got done with that. And I went to my supervisor. I'm like, can I go home? I, this is what happened. And she, she laughed and she was like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. That's funny. <laughs> but no, I think that it, We've got, we've got two, two sides, right? And, and as much as, as much as we try to maybe deny it ourselves is that you get, we are very adversarial, right? In law enforcement, it's us versus everyone else. Well, you have to, cause that's what keeps you safe is that mentality of like, we've got to, we've got to defend. And you know, when you don't have resources to sort through dysfunction and you know, the space and time to be creative, you won't. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're right. I mean, but at the same token, like, you know, I, I always struggle with the thought of, should I be pulling out of my police station in, you know, in, in rural America, should I be leaving the gate 
with the same mindset that like my cousin Jason rolled out of the gates in Afghanistan and like his fire base in Afghanistan with like, no, that's not fucking healthy. Like I shouldn't go out there thinking that I'm going like outside the wire into whatever, you know, into a war zone. Um, but on the flip side of that coin, somebody, if I pull you over, your immediate thought should be, fuck, I hope this cop doesn't shoot me. Like, and, and some people have that, right? Some people I've had, People, just tears streaming down right. their face because it's terrifying because it is. It's terrifying. I don't even like it when a cop drives behind me and I drive a police car to work. Like, yeah, <laughs> but to be afraid that like what your story is doesn't matter and it's not going to be listened to and like things could get out of control and before you know it, you could die. That's a really real fear that I don't think a lot of officers maybe understand because again you know when you're being defensive of your own safety you're not going to think that way yeah i will say that i i have been impressed to see a lot of police officers that that um that even with covid that like that little bit of like positive physical contact if it's a hand on the shoulder or fuck give somebody a hug every now and then handshake handshake sit that'll in my car that'll break barriers down yeah sit in my car right um, in the front seat you've got yeah, yeah. you got somebody whose car's broken down on the side of the road and you got nothing else going on take your fucking patrol bag put it in the trunk just let them sit in the front seat with you for a little bit yeah right like if the hairs on the back of your neck you're standing i'm not telling you to abandon officer safety i would never suggest that's that, that I, right that's that line that right. tension that you've got to learn how to walk of like yeah. compassion for yeah. you know yeah because you, you don't, don't know you know the nicest i and i've said it before that some of the the shittiest people i've ever met in my life drive fucking ninety thousand dollar cars and live in million dollar homes and some of the fucking coolest people i've ever talked to are homeless yeah right like you don't know you truly you don't know yeah. who the fuck you're talking to unless yeah. you've met that person time and time and time and time again but yeah i don't know we're gonna start getting to a point where i think I you and i are I'm both tired and and we're <laughs> And our conversation is just going to be like, anyways, that's why fuchsia makes me sad. So, <laughs> uh, and you've already answered my final question. So is there any, any parting words of wisdom? Um, that was an excellent old fashioned. Thank you. How do people find you on social media? Um, Since that's, that's like how the world is driven nowadays yeah. with business marketing is social media. It is. So we're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. I know a lot of you don't like the cops of TikTok, but the cops fucking love us there. So TikTok, cops, cops make fun of other cops on TikTok. They will watch their own TikToks though. So, yeah. so TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, obviously we have a website. Um, but yeah, if you want to partner with us, we would love it. You know, we're having all types of cool dialogue in different cities, but our main focus is training and helping officers feel better. We think like, yeah. So hit us up on Instagram and you know, that's, I mean, you've seen cool shit on there. That's what, yeah, hell that's yeah. like the meat of, of what we do is social media. Is- I told Erica before we started that uh, one of her posts <laughs> that always sticks out with me is don't watch violent shit right before you go to bed. And, and sure enough, I stopped doing that. And wouldn't you know it, I fucking sleep better now. So every now and then and get yourself. <laughs> Stop watching every like um, sensitive warning. Stop fucking yeah. clicking on it don't after 10 o'clock at maybe, night. Maybe don't watch We Were Soldiers right as you're what is that? tucking yourself into It's about Vietnam. Oh, it's no. exceptionally it's a true story but it's it, there's a whole lot of violence and gore in it. it's, it's fucking breathing. war do some deep breathing exercises <laughs> i like to watch model like train model train videos because they're very like relaxing there's my nerdy fact oh, about yeah. me yeah yeah that's nerdy oh yeah no i i will go off the fucking deep end so. do you have like a train set i do not christmas no in your garage nope open to the kids in the neighborhood 
Nope, no. I actually don't. I I can remember having a train set when I was really little, like that would go around the Christmas tree. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know. Like, my, I'm sure my parents still have it, but no, my wife and I don't have one. It's next on the list. It is next on the list. I don't want to rob my child Manifest of that. Manifest that shit. <laughs> Maybe I'll build him one off of these model train videos that yeah. I watch. I'll just put one together for him. That's awesome. Uh, well, I think we're going to bring it into a close before we start getting into really weird territory here, guys. So, uh, Erica, thank you so very much for coming out. I do greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, watch her, uh, every now and then she puts out some cool shit on Instagram. Get yourself a lacrosse ball. Otherwise you'll be wondering how else you can do yes. that. So, um, uh, you, which you can buy it. Fuck Amazon. It'll be, oh, it'll be shipped to your house tomorrow also, morning. You can get it at, in our shop, sir. Oh, I, yeah. well, I, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> slash shop. You can get yourself some lacrosse balls. Are they personalized? Do they say tech mobility? They on them? don't. That's next on the list. Oh, we got to get that going. That'd I be know. Badass. There's a lot of things. How many companies have personalized lacrosse balls? We're going to fucking be the one. Golf balls are so 1975. Yeah. Get yourself a personalized lacrosse yeah. ball. TacMobility.org uh, or TacMobility on Instagram. Again, Erica, thank you so very much for being here. With that, guys, stay safe, and we'll see you on the road.